The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Uh, the number is 888-900-3393. It's Stu in for Pat Gray. Uh, I guess he's coming back next week now. Uh, I guess I've done such a terrible job here filling in just over one day that Pat is coming back next week. Uh, the speculation is he got thrown off the cruise. Um, we don't know what exactly he did. We can all speculate about that. And then I guess I'll tell you when he comes back uh, next week. Uh, so it, uh, he will be back next week, which is pretty cool. Uh, today, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, and let's get into it. I'm, I'm seriously at the end of my rope I, with this border thing. I am at the end of my rope. I basically wanted to completely lose my mind and scream the entire program today, and I'm going to attempt uh, to not do that because I've already done three hours today, an extra three, uh, and I know this is not the sort of thing you're used to in your life, your little life that you have. I know you probably are like, six hours, that's impossible. Well, I'm doing it. Most people, you're probably like, oh, three hours is too much. Work three hours and you have to do what? Speak? I know. My life seems incredibly difficult. And I know you feel very bad for me. But going through six hours, my voice is not like Pat's. Pat has got a uh, a magical speaking voice. Uh, and he can last forever screaming and doing all sorts of things that should break his vocal cords, and he can last forever. I don't think I can keep that pace up for another three hours. I I could lose my mind today on the media, though. It's incomprehensible how, they, how horrible they are at times. They com- They make it as if it's... They want to make it impossible for you to defend them. And we are in an era where everybody immediately jumps to calling everything fake news. And everybody, every time you see something that doesn't agree with you, you immediately dismiss it. And I think this audience is different because you're, if you're here by now, if you're still hanging with us at this point, you obviously want some people questioning. Uh, you want someone who's going to actually attempt to be honest. But, I mean, there's a large swath of the populace that just doesn't – is not interested in that anymore. It's, it's not something that is interesting to them. So when we have an issue, and there's a couple of them today, where the media is so horrible and so indefensible and so dishonest, it's impossible to put it in perspective. But let's attempt it. This picture – Of this little crying girl at the border. The story there is so insane. We see this girl, girl, girl crying at the border, and she. We are told that this is basically the entire, the entire story. This is the story in a nutshell. If you, this is the little girl running away from the napalm in Vietnam. This is the marquee picture of the entire movement. Trump's cruel, vicious treatment of children is captured in this one photo. 
And the photo, if you haven't seen it, I don't know if we have it, but if we do, we can pop it up there. But it's just a, you know, it's a girl crying. And she's little, I don't know, maybe three or four years old. She's crying. She's at the leg of her mom, and you can kind of see the leg of a border agent. And that's pretty much it. Now, we talked about this yesterday. And, man, if you listened to this show yesterday, I don't know how we could have possibly proved the points of yesterday more clearly than what has come out today. Because yesterday what we said is there's a red line that the media crosses when they think they've got Trump. And they go from just disappointed uh, exasperation to outright advocacy, where they'll believe anything as long as it goes after Trump. Because this time they've got him. This time we can do it. And it leads them into really bad decision making. And the other part was, and I think, I don't know if there's a lot of people uh, doing this. The other part is, if you are hap- if you happen to be a parent of a child in the age range of, let's say, two to five or two to six, there's not a huge impact of seeing a, a picture of a child crying. Children, you think it's the opposite. Oh, well, it's some innocent, uh, some 25-year-old, uh, you know, uh, professional who has no kids, uh, they 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 would they don't care about children, but real parents do. It's not really like that. Parents are the ones who you know. I've seen this movie before. I've seen this about a hundred thousand times. Every time I walk out of Chuck E. Cheese, I have to deal with that picture. Okay. Every time I I decide Muppet Babies can't get another episode, I got to deal with that picture. A child crying and a picture of it is not particularly notable. What is only important about it is if it illustrates a real story, something that actually happened. And that is, of course, what we were told with this picture of this girl on the border. This little girl helplessly ripped from the arms of, uh, uh, you know, by the border guard. See if I still have this uh, quote up here. I think it was ripped, ripped from the arm, wrenched from the arms of her loving parents as she's separated on the border. This is how CNN basically wrote it up. They had to amend that one a little bit. Because what we find out, this is after time, photoshopped this little girl to look up at Donald Trump. And that was the cover of their magazine after that. And gosh, did they deserve it? Because when you have a photo, the question needs to be asked, what happened there? The question, it's not an important photo if she was not separated from her parents. And there's the photo, there's the photoshopped version of it on time if you're watching on television. It's not important if she was not separated from her parents. Now, it might be important in another context. No one wants a child to cry, but kids cry all the time for all sorts of crazy, unimportant reasons. Crying children is not they're not particularly notable to be honest with you. You feel bad when your kid is crying, you try to soothe them. You try to understand, but as a parent, you don't panic. You don't panic in that situation because in reality, end of the day, you realize in about 20 minutes everything's going to be fine. Maybe it's 5 minutes, maybe it's 2 minutes. Whatever it is, it's going to be fine really soon unless there's an underlying story of real importance. Well, that is where they fall down here. Now, CNN actually interviewed the person who took the picture. And when you go back and listen to the interview, I saw it live uh, that, uh, when, it, when it happened with Brooke Baldwin. 
Um, and again, Brooke Baldwin just happens to be on during my when I eat lunch. So I catch a lot of Brooke Baldwin clips. It's not something I'm proud of. So Brooke Baldwin's on there. She's talking to her. She's trying to get him to admit, hey, oh gosh, this is really bad on the border. And of course, he points out again, he had been on the border in 2014. A lot of the stuff was had been happening the entire time. It wasn't new to the Trump administration. Um, but as he noted in the interview, they got into a van, parent and child, and drove off together, and he didn't know what happened. So this is not the fault of the photographer here. The photographer took a picture, and everyone else made it into this iconic moment. And an iconic moment is fine if the underlying story is, you know, true. Where in this case, it is not. We didn't know exactly what happened immediately. But the father of a Honduran girl who became the face of the family separation crisis has now revealed that he's still not been in touch with his wife or daughter, but was happy to see that they are safe. Said he had not heard from his wife, Sandra, 32, who was with his two-year-old daughter for nearly three weeks until he saw the image of them being apprehended in Texas. In an interview with the Daily Mail, the father, who lives in uh, Honduras, says that he was only told yesterday that his wife and child were being detained at a family residential center in Texas, but are together and doing fine. So the media puts up in front of us the iconic photo of this devastating movement where all of these kids are being ripped out of the arms of the parent. Long story short, this child in the picture was not separated from her parents. Not separated. We are told that they are the example of this. And this is the real problem here. Because CNN, at the bottom of their story, writes, Correction, uh, this has been updated to show you that, uh, by the way, the entire premise of this story is incorrect. It's not how they wrote it. But there's a little note at the end of the story where they'll say, oh, yeah, they weren't separated. Sorry about that. The bigger issue is they got their blood already. They already used this little kid uh, for multiple days to trash the administration, to trash the border policy, to trash the border guards, to make them look like heartless SS officers, to put up picture after picture of Auschwitz and Birkenau. We're talking about people who have tied these policies to Nazi Germany with a picture of a kid who was with their parent the whole time. It goes it goes even further than this. The child, basically, they just took the child. The mom took the child. There's no hero. Took the child away from the family and ran away. Abandoned her other kids back in Mexico or in Honduras. Didn't tell dad that they were going to the border. And maybe at the top uh, end of this, had already been deported from the United States and was trying to cross back in. This is an example of what we argue about, not what they argue about. This is a conservative point. This child is crying because drug traffickers were involved, because uh, the the father has no parental rights, apparently, because... Uh, 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 someone who was already deported was allowed back into the country because there's no way to stop them. And now she will be deported likely again uh, at some point relatively soon. We'll see how this plays out. The, The truth, though, is 
If you're going to make something the iconic, like what if we found out that the girl running from the napalm was actually in uh, Wichita? It wasn't Vietnam. She was in Wichita, and uh, she, she was really crying because she wanted a hamburger, and they only had hot dogs. You know, my, my last time my son cried, he uh, fell uh, at uh, an indoor water park. He was going up the stairs, fell, hurt his nose. Think about that circumstance for a moment. Not only does he live in a country awesome enough to have a water park, it's an indoor water park. And still crying is involved. The crying girl means nothing if the underlying story isn't true. Now, she may have been crying. And in this particular circumstance, she was crying for something real. Not quite as silly as a, a hamburger or a fall in uh, in in an indoor water park. This was a real thing she was crying about. But the thing that she was crying about proves our point, not the left's, not the media's. The point here is bigger than just the border. The point here is that we, I think incorrectly at times, generalize the media as terrible. We do. They're not all terrible. They don't always do everything. A lot of the stuff that we know and use to fuel our arguments comes from this media. You know, I mean, again, I'm reading a story from the media to disprove this. This is not this is not a, a blanket, uh, you know, terrorizing of the media. I, I don't I, I'm not that guy. I would like to defend them. I get more heat for defending the media than I do for attacking it. But things like this are completely indefensible because this is something that while the truth comes out here, the damage is done. They've already gone out and made everyone who thinks the border should be secured into a bunch of horrible monsters and use this photo and the photo of the kid in the cage, which was not true at all either. Neither one of those were real. And... They've been using this for days. They've, they've received their pound of flesh. And now at the very bottom of that four-day-old story, they'll, they'll add a little tiny correction that gets it right. you got to do better than that. And that's the line I was talking about yesterday. When you cross a line, even if it's from, I don't like this president, to complete advocacy against every policy that could theoretically be considered conservative, which many of his aren't. But when you get to a point where you are becoming essentially a 501c3 against the president of the United States, you've become a super PAC against the president of the United States with no monitoring of your spending. You are going to make terrible decisions like this. And your point, you should take the hit on this. People should be saying fake news about you today. People should be demeaning your coverage. People should be doubting you because you didn't doubt yourself. The whole point, the only way you get to uh, solid, balanced coverage as a journalist is to constantly hit yourself with skepticism. And when you want something so bad and it seems to be true, you have to pull yourself back and think, wait a minute. Am I, am I in this too hard? Does this just feel right to me? Or am I actually attempting journalism? 
And man, if you don't ask yourself those problems, you're going to fall flat on your face over and over and over again. And this is just one example. We've got another one today. You, got, you have to do a better job than this. You have to step back and, and, and do a little bit of self-reflection. Some journalists do it. Not enough do. And whether your case is just or not, you're going to fall flat on your face if you keep trying it this way. We'll come back with more on the border today as well. The number, by the way, is 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. We're going to take a bunch of calls today. Uh, we've got a bunch lined up already, but get in line. Uh, love to talk to you today. Pat's back uh, next week. Uh, and our sponsor this half hour is Ridgezone. Ridgezone is great because I, I always think that like, if you're trying to get some sort of uh, diet supplement or you're trying to make some change in your diet, it's not always easy. But there is a, a little bit of a challenge. You can't just eat you know, six gallons of queso every day and think things are going to turn out all right. And this is kind of what I like about Ridgezone is it doesn't tell you, well, you can only eat these foods or, oh, well, uh, you can eat whatever you want and in the end you're going to lose weight. Ridgezone goes about it differently. They say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to help you control your appetite. We're going to come at you like that. We're going to come at you that way. You get to control your appetite and so you're going to eat a little bit less of the foods that you're eating already. And you make some sensible choices there. And Ridgezone helps you make the sensible choices. So in the end of the day, you actually wind up losing weight. Ridgezone is healthy. It's, it's been, uh, you know, uh, they've gone through a lot of research with this. We talked to the people uh, who created it. And they kind of went through and, and found that this part of olive oil, that good stuff in olive oil. And honestly, I hate olives. So olive oil I'm fine with. Olives are terrible. If you throw an olive on a pizza, it even ruins a pizza. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. How do you ruin a pizza? You can do it with olives. But they take the good stuff out of olive oil, helps you control your ap- uh, appetite. You can see all the science. It's up there at the website, ridgezone.com. Uh, ridgezone.com. Uh, order today. They're going to get the promo code PAT and receive 30% off a three-month supply. Ridgezone.com. Promo code is PAT for 30% off three-month supply. Time to make it happen. Let Ridgezone get you over the hump. Ridgezone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Promo code PAT for 30% off a three-month supply. Pat Gray Unleashed returns after this on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome back. Uh, Pat is out. Stu is here. Uh, that's me. Uh, 888-900-3393 is the number. Let's go to Peter in California. Peter, welcome to the Pat Gray Show. Or Pat Gray Unleashed, or whatever Dude, you call it. Nothing is really going to change with the border because I think both parties or the politicians, they're involved in all of that. They're benefiting from cheap labor because their constituents are, are getting cheap labor. They're probably benefiting from all this drug stuff coming across the border. And, and, and I'd like to know who the puppeteers are, the really rich people who are controlling all this, like Soros and so on, who pays people to start riots and, and all that. And with all of that, we are not going to change anything because they could close the border at an instant. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's a doable thing, right? <laughs> I think that, you know, look, the wall is a big part of it, but it's not the only part of it. Uh, you can sure. you can improve border security while uh, making this problem better. And you're right, it does it does 
uh, benefit a lot of people. If you go back and look, I think I mentioned this yesterday, if you go back and look at Glenn's TV show from a couple of weeks ago when the caravan was happening, went through all the funding right. of how the, that actually goes on and who the power players are. And you're right. It's these same groups funded by people like Soros um, that, 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 that want this to happen. They want there to be uh-huh. a uh, catastrophe on the border because that's how they advance their cause. You know, when you can get polls to show that, you know, 80 percent of people dislike this policy because you've been able to use emotion effectively, that helps you move the needle a little bit. And that's what these kids are to these people. They're people. They're not kids that they care about. They're kids that help them move the needle, get money and get power. And it really is despicable. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Peter, thanks for the call. Let's go to uh, Julie in Illinois. Julie, uh, welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say, okay, she was deported, the, this mother, in 2013. Correct. And left her husband with a good job and three other kids. Mm-hmm. And she paid the coyotes $6,000 to sneak back in the United States. Why is this not endangerment of a child? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it is. Uh, you know, again, you know, this has always been the case. Even when someone comes uh, of their own volition in a in a in a good circumstance where they're not talk, paying drug mules and, and none of that's happening when you come in, a, in an asylum situation it's always an action you have to take as the parent first and whether you think it's justified or not running away from honduras uh may very well be justified if the situation is that terrible but when you have to go through the proper process which is not sneak in it's go right up to a designated border crossing and say that you want to claim asylum or even easier walk into the U.S. Uh, embassy in Honduras. And you do that, and that's the way you're supposed to do it, because you have not committed a crime. The issue with a separation is only if you commit a crime. So if you go up and you claim asylum at a U.S. border crossing, you have not committed a crime. They're not going to separate you. You just can't commit a crime and then expect everyone to bend over backwards to make everybody happy in the family. That is a rational thing, but it always starts with a choice from the parent. And now that we're seeing that this mother has made several uh, really crappy choices uh, recently, it is kind of, it ruins the narrative. Thank God for the media's sake, they already got their blood from this one. They've already, they've already been able to exploit it, and now they can act as if it didn't happen. And that, that's the problem. It's, it's about dishonesty, Julie. I know, but the thing is, too, if, if you want to come here and seek asylum, she's leaving three other children behind that she feels her country's a threat. Yeah. <laughs> this is a so strange you're going to leave three children behind where you're like, okay, my country's really bad, so i got to get out of here, but I'm just going to take one. Well, we, one thing we have not factored in is perhaps the other three kids are annoying. We haven't really talked about that. Uh, it's possible that, like, this is the only good kid, the only one she likes, and the yeah, other three are I, just terrors. Yeah, she just she's got two little cute girls on her husband's Facebook wall and uh, yeah. a little boy. So. Yeah, it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem to be true. Although we should always uh, take that into account. Thanks for the call, Julie. It's true. Uh, you know, here's a you know, uh, it's adorable kids with this mom, and you know, everybody looks happy on Facebook. I don't know what you can tell about that, but still, it's a situation where I mean, it's got to be a crime, right? Like, it's at least close to a crime. If you are living in a, at a household, a mom and a dad, and you take one of the kids and run away with them to another country, is that legal in Honduras? I don't know the policies. Maybe it is. Doesn't seem like something that should be legal. Seems like something that's a, uh, be kind of a problem. And 
the problem here with the media and everybody you're fighting with on Facebook uh, and, and Twitter today is that if you add the context of the actual situation, their narrative goes away. And what is important to so many people today is not the child, it's the narrative. They've got a little baby in the situation they want to take care of and they want to nurture, but it's not a child. The little thing they want to nurture, the thing they want to bring along, the thing they want to coddle and protect is their narrative. And that's the problem. People are dedicated to their point, right or wrong. Step back, take into account all the facts, make your decision. 888-900-3393. It's Pat Gray Unleashed with Stu. Pat Gray. The Blaze Radio Network. Now back to Pat Gray on the Blaze Radio Network. It's doing for Pat Gray Unleashed. We're talking about the ridiculous stuff going on at the border. I'd love to get your opinions on it. 888-900-3393. I'm I'm fascinated by how bad the media has been throughout this uh, period. And I think, again, it goes back to them becoming advocates. They become, they've become a charitable organization, a political arm. And it's just it not always this way. It's when they really feel like they're winning. It's when they feel like they've got it. They've got Trump this time. They've got the Republicans this time. I'll give you a few examples. I think that they felt this way. Uh, they feel this way on the border. They felt this way with the Parkland shooting. They, they acted differently between Parkland and, let's say, Las Vegas. Right? There was a different, different way they handled that. More people died in Las Vegas. But they didn't act the same way. After Parkland, they became advocates. Go back to Charlottesville. It's another example. That time they've got him. They've got him this time. And so there's a change in the tone. It was, it, it was an outright advocacy group when it, taking the media as a whole. I think it happened during the campaign a few times, too. Uh, certainly the Access Hollywood tape would be an example of this. Where they just, just throw off all of the journalistic niceties. Why bother with them? Just go for it. I'll even go back and say, give me the first, give me the first example of it. Remember when uh, Trump came out and said the McCain soldier thing? When he was like, ah, I, like my, my, uh, my, uh, I like my soldiers not to be captured. Remember that whole controversy? They were like that then. They were like that with the Mexican rapists coming across the border. Remember that whole thing? That's the first one, I guess. There's certain moments that they feel like rise above the normal. And the way to think about it is, it's not like they're covering Donald Trump in a fair way normally. And this goes to every Republican. And they never cover Republicans or conservatives in a fair manner, at least very rarely. Most of the time when they cover them in a fair manner is when they've said something bad about another Republican. Like John McCain is always good for some, some coverage when he's not running for president. But this is one where if you picture the media is running towards a goal, they're running towards uh, a flag. And the flag is impeachment. 
That's what the whole media right now is just operating under this idea that they get Donald Trump out of office. So right now they're running towards this flag all the time. Sometimes they're jogging. Some days they're sprinting. Some days they're walking. But they're always moving towards this flag. Incidents like this, like this border story, like Charlottesville, like uh, like uh, Parkland. Outside of the real story there, which many times is tragic and really bad, they see it as the ground has tilted down and they're now sprinting downhill. They can put the same amount of effort in and if they turn it up really fast, they'll get moving super, super quickly. They are now running downhill and as the story turns in what they see as their favor... The, the the hill they're running down is steeper and steeper. But you know what happens when you do that? When you're running down a really steep hill as fast as you can, number one, you're a lot more likely to fall flat on your face. And number two, when you fall flat on your face, it hurts a lot worse. The fall is a lot more tragic. And with this story... They are, I mean, not even running downhill. They are, they've got skis on. <laughs> There's a, you know, it, the, the powder's icy. And they are just careening towards a tree. And it's just, it's just a bad look. Be honest. If what the story is has validity, then people will get there with you. You don't need to lie. You don't need to force it. You don't need to make stuff up. You don't need to fraudulently um, attach a picture to a story that didn't occur. And you don't need to make a national, maybe international incident out of what is on the back of a jacket. You don't need to fake it. If there's something there, eventually America will come around to it. And if they don't, they don't. It's not your job. People talk about this all the time with us. Uh, you know, there have been times where they're like, look, I understand you're right. This policy is the wrong thing, but we, it's too important. We need to win. We need to win this. We need to win X, Y, and Z. You, you got to get on board for this part because this is too important. It's never too important. Never. It's never too important. What's important to you is something that I think goes a lot further than any election, than any, in any issue. It goes to the eternal question. What have you done with yourself? Have you been honest? Have you been able to advocate for your positions in an honest fashion? And you know what? The media can't say that today. And I got to imagine in some quiet moment after the fervor, they might actually recognize that. Maybe they do. You know? I mean, what? think about this. The Parkland shooting happens and CNN trots out in a stadium environment a town hall so that people can yell, scream things, threaten women on stage who have a differing opinion? Was that a sensible thing to do in retrospect? Even in the moment, they probably realized it was, it was advocacy. But I mean, when you step back and you're being honest with yourself, that's not the way to do that. You want to have a conversation with people from, uh, uh, who, are vic- who are, are, had friends who were murdered. Do you put it in a coliseum? This is, this is, you put it in a stadium environment so people can yell and scream and boo when there's things that they don't like and you micromanage the situation. It's not a good idea. And overall, I don't think it works. You know, I mean, 
look, this time, yes, you got the presidency, the president to back off of his policy. He took his tough stand on the border, got public pressure, turned around, went the other way. We now have a situation where catch and release is basically codified by an executive order that after 20 days, all of these people that come across the border and can't be processed within 20 days are all being released inside our borders. That's under the guy who ran under I'll build the wall. That's your current situation, America. And it's because there was some public pressure and maybe it worked in the short term for the media this time. But man, just freaking be honest. Every time this happens, you can feel it. You can feel them running. You can feel them running downhill. You can feel them running really fast downhill. And then at some point, you know there's going to be a rock. They're going to trip over it, and they're going to tumble, tumble, tumble. And probably at the end of the, at the, end of the ground, run into another big rock or a tree. They just can't stop themselves. And at many times, this benefits the president. It benefits Trump. If you are one of the people who don't like Trump and you're in the media... I mean, you should get some self-awareness. You know, people just can't trust what you're saying, and you get frustrated. You see these people in the media, they get so frustrated. We're just sitting here trying to do and tell you people the truth. And at times, they do that. But when you, when you mix it in with things like this, nobody can trust you. Nobody. Look at this jacket situation. It's insanity. I don't know what the truth is. I'd love to get your opinion on this, by the way. 888-900-3393. What's the truth with a jacket? I'll give you the scenarios. Number one, their initial response to it. Melania Trump wears a jacket. If you don't know the story, she wears a jacket to the border uh, and, 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 and visits these detention centers. And she wears a jacket, not at the detention center, by the way. It's important to point that out. But in Washington, and she wears a jacket. It's raining. And the jacket says, uh, I, I don't care at all, do you? Something like that. So, you know, here are the situations. Their re- initial response when asked about it was, it's just a jacket. I grabbed a freaking jacket. It's a $40 jacket. Threw a jacket on. doesn't mean anything. That's what Melania Trump's people said initially. So that's excuse number one for the jacket. Excuse number two for the jacket. Donald Trump comes out and tweets the exact opposite of what her people said. And say, it was intentional, it was a message, but it was a message to the media. Hey, I don't care about your coverage, Uh, I don't care what you're going to say about me, screw you. Okay? Option three, what the media is saying. Option three is, well, uh, what she was saying was, and she's very fashionable, so she always thinks about her fashion choices, she's a model. And so what, what she did there, of course, was to say that she did not care about these immigrant children. She's showing up, sure. Sure, she's showing up, but that's just the, you know, she's doing that for PR reasons. The real reason she's there, she wants to make a statement. She wants you to know she doesn't actually care about this. She's rich, they're poor. And uh, what does she care? Those are your three choices. But let me, let me give you mine first. At least, uh, I'm going to take one off the table, at least in my... And there it is. I really don't care, do you, is, is, the, is the wording of it. The one thing we know isn't true. The only one of those that we know is false is the idea that Melania Trump would say that she does not care about immigrants on the back of a jacket. We know that's not true. We know that's not true because we're, we're sentient human beings. We're cognizant of the world around us. Okay, that's it. It just doesn't pass the sniff test. Number one, she is an immigrant. So the idea that she doesn't care about immigrants is completely ridiculous, though not impossible, right? Like there's, 
probably 0.1% of immigrants who say, I can't stand immigrants and I want them all to go away. It's possible. There's some percentage, I suppose. But in addition to this, even if she was the type of person who didn't like immigrants and was heartless enough to wear a jacket saying it, even if she was that person, which there's no evidence she is, even if she was that person, she wouldn't wear a jacket to say it. If your point is she went down there for PR, which she didn't need to do, why would she wear a jacket saying she doesn't care about immigrants? It makes no sense. If it was all if it if she didn't care about immigrants, she could have worn the jacket and not gone to the border. Why would she also go to the border? It makes no sense. And yet it's the one part of this that the media has actually embraced. Again, dishonestly, they're pretending. They all know the same things you know. They all know that Melania Trump doesn't hate immigrants. They all know that it's not true that she wore the jacket to say that she hates immigrants. They all know it, but they go on TV and pretend the opposite. They pretend that that's what they think. They pretend that you should think it too. They all know it's not true. And that's the problem. It's not authentic. It's not authentic. And therefore, it probably will not be effective. Nor should it be, by the way. Shouldn't be effective. Got a lot of your calls to get to. Uh, Our phone number is 888-900-3393. Let's take phone calls on the other side of the break so I don't rant another one away. It's Stu in for Pat Gray Unleashed. Pat Gray on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. It's Stu and for Pat. We'll get to your phone calls here in just a second. 888-900-3393. I want to give you this first, though. Time has come out, and they have a statement out about their cover. We've been talking about the cover for a good portion of this hour. They have a kid on the cover crying, looking up at Trump. They photoshopped the picture, first of all, which was controversial even with people on the left, because you're clearly just exploiting this kid to sell magazines. But beyond that, uh, it's now been shown that this kid was not a victim of child separation. Uh, they are still standing by their cover, though, because they, they're they doing everything they can to just prove our points here today. <laughs> the media is just lining up to just throw us softballs all day long. The June 12th pro- photograph of the two-year-old Honduran girl became the most visible symbol of the ongoing immigration debate in America for a reason. Yeah, it's a symbol of that debate because it's not actually part of it. Okay? At least not the part of the debate that you're talking about when you're talking about family separation. Under the policy enforced by the administration prior to its reversal this week, again, not only does the kid not have anything to do with child separation from parents, as you admit in the very next sentence, it's not even a current policy. Those who crossed the border illegally were criminally prosecuted, which in turn resulted in the separation of children and parents. That's true, but not the kid you're showing. 
our cover and our reporting capture the stakes of this moment. It doesn't actually capture the moment. Oh, no, no. It doesn't actually capture, you know, the truth, but it captures the stakes. <laughs> oh, man, because, again, they can't, they're so locked into their point, they can't admit it, even when it's blatantly obvious that they're wrong. Let's go to Bill in Kansas. Bill, welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed with Stu. Yeah, I just wanted to comment. The uh, We've been seeing a lot of these pictures over the last, ever since the G Summit, G7 Summit with the Merkel picture on up. We've been seeing yeah. uh Basically, made-up stories, twisting the truth, uh, and a lot of this reminds me, you know, going back to last year with the immigration order from the Muslim countries, the so-called Muslim ban. We're, we're going through this again. Mm-hmm. I wake up this morning, and there's already lawsuits that are talking about filing with the National Gover- Governor's Convention and several states, and and you know Chuck Schumer's comments about Mr. President, you can do this with your pen. He does it with his pen, and immediately, he's a villain. Yeah. <laughs> and people should, I, I wish voters would wake up on both sides, the Democrats, the members of the LSD party, the Republicans, and look at these elected officials and realize they're in it for themselves. Yeah. Uh, 2018's coming up. It's time to vote out a lot of these Pelosi's and Schumer's and, and rhinos. It's just... It's just gotten out of hand. Yeah. Bill, thanks for the call. I think you're right. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, this is the, one of the big issues is they have gone. They've been saying, hey, they're, they're evil, they're evil, they're evil, they're evil. And they keep saying it. Now they're trying to execute it with words uh, and you know, a thousand words for each picture. And I think they think that that might be more effective. Again, almost all of their arguments are emotional and pictures are more emotional than words are. But beyond that, it's true. They don't care about these children. If they cared about these children, um, they, we, I said this on TV on Monday when I was filling in for Glenn. There's not some magical... They're trying to make us believe there's a magical line somewhere. Some crazy magical line between 9,000 and 11,000 kids uh, being held. At 9,000, no one talked about it. And then all of a sudden... It goes to 11,000, and it's the biggest issue in America. Well, how can you possibly believe that? It doesn't make any sense on its face. It's because they're using these children to try to win an election, to try to take power back. They don't care. They just don't care. It's all about winning and losing. And by the way, uh, you might notice that the Republicans have done a little bit of this too. Uh, and I, I appreciate the caller pointing this out. When, when your principal is winning... Or losing, when your principle is just winning, when you win, you get nothing. Winning is not an end. It's not about winning. Winning is supposed to get certain things done. You're supposed to win and then do. Winning doesn't do by itself. You have to win, then do. And that's what I think a lot of these people in Washington don't seem to understand because they get in the moment. They're too close to it. They've lost sight of why they actually went there in the first place. Martin in Arizona, welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed with Stu. Welcome. Uh, Policy versus the pen violates the safety and security of the nation. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. You stick to policy. You stick to the law. 
the law was designed based strictly on safety and security of this nation. It works with all governments. It works with all institutions, whether law enforcement, incarceration, period. Once somebody goes outside of sticking to policy and you have no team members to back you up, the violations of the security start overwhelming, in this case, our nation. Unfortunately, the experience that I've had has brought me right to this level, what I see right now. And again, for as much as I support our president, I unfortunately am so disappointed that he broke down because of the public pressure. Not to mention our Republican side, shame on them. They have no, they're jellyfish. They're jellyfish. I can go on and on, but policy is security. Bottom line, yeah. we need to stick to security uh, policy because it violates the security, sir. Bottom line, the people of this nation need to know that. Hearts, we are full of it. We are generous people, but we must maintain safety and security of this nation. And unfortunately, Mr. President, you broke down, sir. You need to have stuck to our policy. Mm. Martin, thank you. thank you so much. Appreciate it. And wow, I'm so proud to get the call from Martin. I'm so proud to get the call from Martin. I've been saying this off off the air, and I think a couple times maybe slipped on the air last couple days. <laughs> that in another parallel universe, somewhere far, far away, on a distant talk radio station, there's a talk radio host. And that talk radio host is getting berated with call after call after call complaining how their Republican president, who campaigned on being so tough on the border... Uh, turned his back from a tough border policy when public media pressure stepped up. There's a world in which that talk show's happening a lot. I don't know where it is. Not here. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that we got that call because we didn't get one on the radio show like that. We didn't get one call of people saying, hey, by the way, like I like Trump generally speaking what he's doing, but let me step back from that and say, hey, don't we remember what we did with George W. Bush when he stepped back from his border promises? I've been around. I've been doing this for a long time now. I go back to the 90s on this thing. I started doing talk radio, uh, well, yeah, 90, 99. I remember going through a lot of Republican promises about the border and a lot of folding about those promises. A lot of folding on those promises and a lot of calls. Lots of calls from talk radio listeners who said, hey. These rhinos in office are folding on their principles. Once again, they promise us all this border security, and what are we getting? They promise, why, why don't they just stop? They got to they gotta take these, they got to use our laws. They got to pro- prosecute these people crossing the border. And honestly, when it's come down to emotion and people crying and media pressure, Donald Trump folded on this one. Hard to argue the opposite. Now, he may very well get this done eventually. We'll see. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge believer that we're going to have real progress on the border. Uh, but he deserves the same criticism. And Martin, it's brave for you to call up. And I'm glad I'm glad it was a fan, too. It's not somebody who just doesn't like Donald Trump and is calling him out. This is somebody who likes him and saying, and I like some of the stuff you're doing. But, you know, th- what happened here is the media pushed Donald Trump into folding his position. Donald Trump changed, changed, I think, correctly so to say, look, this is the law. We need to actually prosecute people who come across the border. Something that Republicans have been saying for a very long time and not doing. He started doing it, and then there were sad pictures of kids crying about unrelated things, and now we're to catch and release again. 
So, I mean, it's hard to argue that the, the media didn't win this one. The polling looked terrible for him. But that's exactly the sort of stuff he's supposed to shrug off, right? We're told that that's the stuff that he was going to shrug off. And there's not a lot of shrugging going on. So, I'm, you know, it's, I'm glad we got one of those calls at least. If you're one of those people and you feel the same way, or if you feel a little the opposite, I'd love to hear from you. 888-900-3393 is the uh, phone number. It's Pat Gray Unleashed. Pat rejoins us uh, next week to take control of his program once again. It's Stu filling in. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Unleashed on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Stu and for Pat Gray, lines are lit. We will come to you here in just a couple of minutes. I do want to touch on this, though. Jameis Winston, uh, who is the uh, quarterback of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm getting something in my ear, guys, by the way. Uh, some bunch of people talking. Uh, anyway, uh, Jameis Winston, the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Bucks, is going to be suspended by the NFL. Three games... Uh, for his uh, violation of the league's personal conduct policy. Uh, now, if you don't know the story of Kate, who is an Uber driver, she went public with her claims against Jameis Winston in an interview with BuzzFeed this past November. She said Winston groped her while they waited in a drive through line at a local Mexican restaurant, which is how all romance begins. I don't know if people know that. Kate said she filed a complaint uh, with Uber after her ride with Winston, but declined to file charges because she didn't want to be publicly known as the woman who Jameis Winston groped. Kate, by the way, not a real name. Um, and I can understand that. You know, uh, that is uh, something that I can understand, certainly. Uh, if you go through something like this, you don't want to be the person. You don't want to live your life in court and in front of the press. And, and that's understandable. Winston's, of course, yeah, obviously did go to the press initially. Winston denied the driver's claims at the time, saying in a statement she was confused as to the number of passengers in the car and who was sitting next to her. Just a very strange excuse. I, uh, yeah, I just, I thought, I didn't realize who it was. It was just this giant, you know, sure, this giant man who happens to be in the National Football League and is very famous. Uh, I just didn't recognize him. Somebody else. The accusation is false, and given the nature of the allegation and increased awareness of consideration of these types of matters, I am addressing this false report immediately, Winston added. At the time of the alleged incident, I denied the allegations to Uber, and they still decided to suspend my account. Uh, So this is a long-term thing with Jameis Winston. He was, of course, previously accused of rape by a fellow FSU student in 2012. Lawsuit was settled in 2016. He also, if you remember, had a bit of a situation where he just started walking out of grocery stores with crab legs. I mean, look, it's happened to the best of us. Everybody's had a moment in their life where they've strolled out of a store with some crab legs. Come on. And his excuse at that time, well, again, was even important. He said said one of the guys who worked there was hooking him up 
That guy, for whatever reason, did not take a stand on his behalf. I don't know why. Point being, though, he's had a lot of problems. The Bucks drafted him knowing he had a lot of problems. But this goes to a larger story. This happened in 2016, March of 2016. And they're suspending him for the first three games of the 2018 season. I'm an NFL fan. I think they get a lot of heat that they don't deserve. A lot of people here are protesting them all the time. I understand that. It's not my bag. Certainly not in a year where uh, there's a glorious 100-plus diamond ring with sapphires that says Eagles World Champions on it. Not a year I'm going to be particularly protesting. Um, But I get it. I understand why people don't like the NFL. I'm not a hater of Roger Goodell like so many people are. But there is a fundamental problem we have in our society right now that I think needs to be addressed, which is let the police be the police. I don't want colleges being the police. I don't want sports leagues being the police. Let the police be the police. They are now uh, suspending Winston for three games uh, this year after a long investigation in which they came up with nothing, nothing to support the idea that he actually did anything to this woman. So that's an important distinction. They didn't even find anything. What they found was he didn't tell them fast enough. Jameis Winston should have told the NFL, his employer, a little faster about what happened. And I, you know, look, that certainly was a nice courtesy. It's probably required at some level in the in you know page nine hundred and seventy-five of the player handbook. However, this is a bigger a, a symptom of a bigger uh, issue, which is these these sports leagues because of PR. Colleges, because of PR and Title IX, all feel they need to be the people who are going to come in and adjudicate these issues. I have absolutely no problem with the NFL and every other sports league taking no action until they find out what the hell happened. You don't need to, you don't need to go through and suspend people. You don't need to go through and fire them. You don't need to release them on the first report of an accusation. In fact, you're doing a disservice to our justice system when you do that. We have to have a situation in which people are not punished before they're even convicted. We did a story this week about a wide receiver for the Houston Texans. Uh, Keith Mumphrey is his name. was a star at Michigan State. Went through the process at Michigan State. You know, everybody loved the guy. He goes back for his pro day. Um, he is going to be drafted into the NFL, a big star. Goes back for his pro day and does what any uh, uh, college football player would do with uh, a pro day visit to his town. Gets on the Tinder. Gets on the Tinder. Apparently hooks up with some girl. Later on, after they, they, or they almost hook up, they wind up not uh, actually hooking up. She later on uh, accuses him of assault. Now, this goes to the police, and the police say they don't have anything. They, they don't have any, any evidence. They can't convict this guy. They can't prosecute this guy. They've got nothing. So they don't do anything with him in his case. Then the case rolls into uh, the college, and because the college wants to be the police, instead of letting the police be the police, they try him. Now, where in our justice system is there room for, well, we'd like the college to try to solve the, the criminal case? It's silly. You want to do that? Go to CrimeCon. You want to go that? Have a nice little, you could go do Fantasy League, uh, true crime uh, solving. 
But don't don't try to actually solve crimes if you're a college. Leave that to the police. Well, they try it anyway. They go through the process. They interview everybody involved. And you know what they find? He didn't do anything. So now we're two cases in. And this guy finally, I guess they, the, the Texans say, okay, well, I guess that's enough. The guy, you know, I mean, you know, look, well, we can draft him now. So they draft him in the fifth round, goes into the pros, plays pretty well as a punt returner, kick returner. Looking like he's got a bright future. He's about to be, it looks like he's going to be third on the depth chart for the Houston Texans as, as a wide receiver. And then he goes back for a charity golf tournament and finds out he's been expelled. What do you mean he's been expelled? What are you talking about? Well, he's been expelled because while he wasn't there, they tried him again at the college. They didn't inform him to come back and defend himself. They sent an email to his college email address. Who's checking that when you're in the NFL? The guy is certainly available. They certainly can reach him. Uh, The college reached him for the golf tournament. So they could certainly, I mean, he's on a National Football League team. He's probably available to come back and defend himself in a sexual assault trial. So they don't get any words from him. In the third time, then they decide he actually did it when he's not there to defend himself. What happens? Eventually, the report gets to the Detroit Free Press, to the Houston Chronicle. Now he's out of the league. There's no reason for these things to happen. The college shouldn't have found him guilty without him being there. They shouldn't have even had a trial. The, the, the police are supposed to be the ones handling these things. Secondarily, the Texans also felt they had to be judge, jury, and executioner. And now they've ended his career. It's not the right way to do this. And while I don't think Jameis Winston is all that uh, remarkable a quarterback, honestly, I didn't like the pick when the Bucks went with it. I don't think he's a top-tier guy. I don't think he's ever going to turn into what they were hoping to get from him as a player. And when you add that on to the fact that he has questionable character issues throughout his history, you can internalize that and say, you know what, there's a little too much smoke here. I'm not going to pull the trigger as a number one pick and, 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 and draft this guy. I can understand that choice. I would have not done it just because I didn't think he was that top-tier of a quarterback. But still, when you have the guy on your team, does he really have to? I mean, every really he has to deal with a three-game suspension for something that the the investigation found he didn't do. That's what's important here. Not like they found out they did an investigation, which is kind of questionable. Maybe let the police do the investigation, but they did an investigation, and what they found was nothing. They found that he didn't tell him in time of the thing that he didn't do, and they're going to suspend him for that. It's backwards, man. It's backwards. It just doesn't make any sense. All right. Uh, 888-900-3393. Um, let's see if I can get my headphone situation. You know what? Let's take a break. I'll come back on the other side with your phone calls. We've got a full board of calls, uh, and I appreciate that. Thanks so much for showing up today. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm having some issue with my headphones. I don't know what's being fed to it, but something else. So I can't really do calls at this point. Uh, but we'll get back to that here in just a minute. First, I want to tell you about the uh, Founders Revolution. If you turn on the news, you know this. We've been talking about it all day. Uh, you get sucked into defending. You can. I mean, this happens to a lot of people. Getting sucked into defending your side instead of defending your principles. Principles are always over personalities. Always. Make that decision in your life. I think a lot of people who are here at the Blaze at Packer Unleashed have made that decision or you wouldn't be here. But you got to make that decision. Uh, there's a new book by Michael S. Law called The Founder's Revolution. And man, do we need this more than ever. If you, if you happen to be out the uh, Mercury Museum this weekend, you know these lessons are true. Um, you need to know what the principles are. You need to know the fundamentals uh, of how this country was founded. 
and you need to know it from the original documents. That's what the Founders Revolution does. Uh, you'll discover the forgotten history on how the Declaration of Independence came into being, the principles that form its foundation. Going back and understanding this is incredibly important. To gain insight into every charge the founders made in the Declaration, what they intended America to become, and what their vision was as it relates to the proper role of government. We had the original uh, draft of the uh, of the Declaration of Independence here uh, this past weekend. Man, I mean, it turns your world around. When you look at the original sources, when you understand why this country was founded and the way that it was founded, it, it can turn everything that you were taught in school around. And if you have kids... You need to have this information. Go to your computer right now. Type in www.thefoundersrevolutionbook.com. That's thefoundersrevolutionbook.com. Pick up your copy on Amazon. The book has five stars. It's a great read, and it's original sources. Thefoundersrevolutionbook.com. It's thefoundersrevolutionbook.com. You are listening to Pat Gray on the Blaze Radio Network. Gray is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Scott Lincecum from uh, Cato Institute uh, about free trade and whether it's a good principle to have. Whether you agree with the politics of it or not, uh, it's, a, it's an important conservative principle that's been held for a really long time. Uh, and we're going to get into kind of what what's going on right now. Is it true what the media is saying about this is going to go into a full sort of full-fledged trade war or is it overblown? Let's find out about that. Also, Spoons will be back on today. Yeah, that's right. We've got some good stuff from Taco Bell, which I'm very excited about. As you know, I'm a big Taco Bell fan. We'll do uh, the, yeah, the the re-up of Spoons here on Pat Gray Unleashed in just a few minutes. Getting to your calls now, though, 888-900-3393. Scott in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed with Stu. Hey, Stu. I just want to say I did volunteer work here in Philadelphia with the fire department over the years. Mm-hmm. Go and the press is just terrible nationwide. We will have house fire where you know, unfortunately, people lost their lives in there, and the the press were all over like vultures trying to get pictures of a human body that was, you know, killed in this house fire. Yeah, the fire department had to come up with a policy where they make a wall of firefighters and police officers so the press can't see the bodies coming out. Because they were trying to take pictures of these poor people that lost their lives in their own home. Yeah, it could be really, really ugly. And Scott, thanks for the call. I mean, it's not you know there is a, a piece of this that is our fault too. They would not be doing this stuff if it wasn't consumed. And when I say our fault, I don't necessarily mean you know nothing's my fault. Obviously, nothing's your fault. We're completely perfect. But I mean, other people who click on this stuff, they're the ones that are encouraging it. Um, and I will just say. Go Eagles. I mean, we get a call from Philly, i got to say it. Taylor uh, in Indiana, welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed with Stu. Hey, Stu. Uh, I mean, we all know the immigration policy that Trump has on the border is effective. Um, it's working. and But let's just face it, the media doesn't give him a fair shake. We all know that. That's no surprise. Right. But um, the media's attention span isn't what I would call long-lasting. I mean... They're on a couple days, a week, whatever. They're on the next thing. So to me, if you're Trump, like, all right, 
I know I'm not getting fair coverage on this, nothing new. I'll let them have their week, have their say, and then it's over with, and everything's just back to normal. Yeah, so, you have to realize that this stuff does pass pretty quickly, even when it doesn't feel like it. I mean, Parkland was the same way. You know, they were like, oh, we're running all these Second Amendment violations through because, you know, this time it's high school students who are saying it somewhat articulately, and we're putting them on MSNBC over and over again. This time it's different. Well, you know, the principle's still the same. Uh, the Second Amendment still stands. And just because it feels like there's an emotional, um, uh, you know, vibe in the country doesn't mean that it's anything's going to change. And that's not how you should change. You should never change because of emotion. You should change because of facts. You should change because of principle. You, you know, at times you may actually change your principle because you've just come up with new information and decided uh, your old idea was wrong. It's OK to change what you believe. It's just not OK to change because you're emotional. You have to do it in a sober uh, fashion. You have to have a, a sober decision-making process when you change your mind. And the media wants to use emotion because, you know, frankly, the American populace isn't all that engaged. And that is really the problem. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't, it is frustrating to see someone that always criticizing you just cave so easily. Like, well, yeah. Uh, let me give you let me give you a little upside, Taylor, and I appreciate the call. Tell me if you, if, you know, if, if people buy into this, I'd like to hear your call. I was encouraged this week in the middle of this sort of firestorm that they in, they introduced a major government restructure. A major government restructure. Maybe we can play uh, at some point here this hour the clip from Mick Mulvaney. It's an audio clip if we have that. Mulvaney unleashes uh, hell on roast beef sandwiches. And now that sounds like a crazy clip. But in the middle of this, I want you to listen to this clip. This is from Mulvaney yesterday. In the middle of this firestorm, there was a meeting. Did you hear anything about it? Not a lot of people did. Let me give you a little clip of Mick Mulvaney talking about this. Donald Trump is in the room with a bunch of reporters and a bunch of officials. Uh, Here's Mulvaney. I call this the drain the swamp cabinet meeting. I know we talked about that during the campaign. You've talked about it since you've been here. Today is we're introducing uh, the actual actions that follow up on those words to show people what we meant when we said drain the swamp. When we got into this, one of the things we learned was that it has been almost 100 years since anybody really reorganized the government at this type of scale. It's been since FDR Hmm. and his New Deal, where he changed the way the government worked. And we haven't changed it very much since then, which means we're almost uh, 20% into the 21st century, but we're still dealing with a government that is from the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, This leads, Mr. President, to some bizarre results. This is fine. Um, In fact, the stories, you don't know where to start. Um, right now, um, because of the Byzantine nature of the way that we regulate in this, in this, in this country, um, if you have a cheese pizza, uh, you make a cheese pizza, that is governed by the United States Department of Agriculture. No, it's the other way around. I always get these backwards. If you make a cheese pizza, it's governed by the Food and Drug Administration. If you put a pepperoni on it, that's governed by the USDA. <laughs> if you have a chicken... It's governed by the USDA. If that chicken lays an egg, it's governed by the FDA. But if you break the egg and make it into an omelet, that is now covered again by the USDA. If you have an open-faced roast beef sandwich, that's one or the other. But you put, a, put the bread on top of it, it's the other one. A hot dog, the hot dog meat is governed by one. You put it in a bun, it's governed by another. One of my favorites, uh, the, if you have a saltwater fish, you have a salmon, and it's in the ocean, it's governed by the Department of Commerce. 
Once it swims upriver, it's governed by the Department of Interior, and to get there, it has to go up a fish ladder governed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, this is stupid. Nuts. Um, this is just, this makes no sense. Now, the, what's getting a, a, a little bit of the headlines are just the funny examples, right? The idea that an open-faced roast beef sandwich is regulated by a different agency than a closed-faced roast beef sandwich is patently absurd. We all know this. But did you catch at the beginning of that? This is the biggest restructure in a hundred years. This is the biggest restructure from the New Deal. Did you hear word one about that in the media? Now, normally, this would be catastrophic. They would be screaming at you from every mountain about how evil they're tearing down the uh, the regulation in the United States. The regulatory structure is being destroyed by this evil conservative president. But instead, they've got this controversy. Donald Trump is good, really good, at one thing in particular, which is providing cover for sensible policy. If, this, if, the, if they could work in conjunction and you had Donald Trump with all of his controversies and he just lets the media go crazy on him and he sits there and he can fight with them all day. And in the background, they're doing this. The EPA has done it largely like this. And several other agencies. Mulvaney is probably one of the best ones. And, he's, and, and by the way, both Pruitt and Mulvaney, I think, have done a good job in policy. Pruitt's had some issues with the press. But overall, they've both done a really good job with policy. And they're both appoint, two appointments that I really liked at the time. Um, bottom line, though. Is when you have this, you have a giant shiny object. Trump's the ultimate shiny object. He's the squirrel, man. He's the squirrel. Everybody's looking at the squirrel past something. You have this incredible opportunity to actually do something. Trump will sign anything. He'll sign anything that that is a win for Republicans right now. He doesn't care. He does not have legitimate policy preferences. That is not what he does. And, you know, I, I, would I prefer a guy who has a real ideology? Sure, but that's not, what, that's not his game. So take the hand you're dealt. Donald Trump is constantly, is constantly distracting the media and giving you cover to pass real reform. And here's an example. Mulvaney's doing it. Uh, Pruitt's done it in the EPA. Congress has not done it at all, which is embarrassing. You know, you, pro- you have a real good chance of losing the House coming up. I think, you know, do they have a 50% chance of keeping it? Probably. But, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a coin toss right now. They could easily lose the House. And after that, it's gonna, you're going to have a tough time getting anything passed. Probably nothing. Nothing of value. So use this time and get something done. They shouldn't go on one vacation until Election Day. They should be sitting there. You want to let a couple of people in purple districts go out there and campaign a little bit? Sure. Other than that, everybody should be there trying to pass stuff. They should be constantly trying to push stuff like this, real reform through, because you might not have much time left on that one. Get it done. And Trump gives you the ultimate cover fire. Let's go to uh, let's go to Ginger in California. Ginger, welcome to Pat Gray Unleashed. Um, I think my husband had a good idea. Um, why don't we build labs on the border to test DNA? And then that way we can make sure that kids are with their parents or if we release them uh, to a relative here, we can make sure that it actually is a relative. Yeah, right. And 
it to could, put um, adults. Yeah, it, you know, and look, I think the 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 typical American response to something like that is to feel like it's very intrusive. We wouldn't want our DNA taken for these reasons. However, the reason the reason why why this needs to happen is 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 serious. And Ginger, thanks for the call. The issue is a lot of the people crossing the border aren't actually with family members. They're being separated from you know, drug mules. Human, there's a hu- big human traffic, trafficking report that was released by the DOJ uh, a while ago. And this is exactly what they found, was that people are intentionally using teenagers because they know they won't be prosecuted if they happen to get caught. And when they get caught, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation that you don't want to keep families together if keep, keeping families together is someone who's trafficking another human being. Who's picking them up? A lot of times they say they have people inside the country who are already here, and those are the quote-unquote family members that are picking up the aliens uh, or the undocumented immigrants, as it were. Point being, uh, you can't do that. That's not good for the kids either. And so there's been a proposal about a DNA testing situation. You know, I think I don't think it's going to go anywhere, honestly, because of the generalized, uh, you know, the generalized vibe of Americans is they don't really like the. They think it's too intrusive. There's this, there's there's obviously different rules for, um, for uh, immigrants and um, and citizens, and especially illegal immigrants and citizens. So there's something you have to find a way to solve this problem, whether it's DNA testing or something else. There has to be some way of making sure we're not releasing children into the arms of traffickers. It's a minor problem we're going to have to deal with. A major one: uh, free trade. The trade war that is maybe around the corner. Let's talk to Scott Lincecum on the other side of the break. 888-900-3393 is the number. It's Packer Unleashed with Stu. Pat Gray. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Gray returns on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pat Gray Unleashed. It's Stu filling in. Uh, we talk about principles over personalities. It's an important thing. It's kind of, I don't know, what we're trying to do here. And, I, you know, I don't care. I really don't care about individual personalities. I'm not that guy. I don't care about it. I don't, I don't feel any loyalty to anybody in Washington. I, you know, you just constantly let down when you do those things. And you find yourself, you know, doing things that you would never think you would do. When you, when you tie yourself to a person instead of a, a policy or, you know, in, in, a, in a debate or, more importantly, a principle, you wind up uh, supporting. You can go back and forth like crazy. We've seen this with fr- free trade. Free trade was a, was a bedrock principle of conservatism. Uh, Ronald Reagan spouted about it often, and though he wasn't perfect in that uh, regard, he was, you know, he 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 expo- extolled the virtues of free trade uh, in a, in a particularly articulate way that Americans understood, and it really won the day for a long time, or at least it seemed to, to the point that there almost wasn't really an argument against it. So obvious that it was working out well for America. 
Well, that has uh, changed <laughs> quite a bit uh, lately. And now um, the media that was once seemingly in the pocket of unions and doing their work and saying how bad free trade was has completely changed. And now because the president is for protectionism in many ways, the media now all of a sudden has, has seen the light, at least partially. I want to bring on Scott Lincecum. He's uh, from the Cato Institute uh, and is uh, the smartest guy I know, at least, when it comes to trade and really understanding how this work works. Welcome to the program, Scott. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, my my sympathy is that I'm the smartest guy you know about this. Yeah, I don't know a lot I'll of smart people. I, I should have been clear. I don't, I don't actually know a lot of intelligent <laughs> folks. Uh, so, <laughs> um, Scott, you know, this is – it's tempting. I, I feel like there's a part of me that does understand the temptation – just sure. think that tariffs are a good idea. You know, here right. I am. I, I, we had a caller this week on the radio show um, that said, look, I, you know, I, you know, I understand free trade, but listen, I, I live in Flint, Michigan. And, right. you know, my grandfather worked for General Motors. And now those plants aren't here anymore. And now we're living, you know, we can't even get, you know, healthy water. And they tie all these, you know, negative consequences of their, you know, generalized right, community right. into this idea that, you know, all these foreign countries have stolen our jobs. So I understand right. the emotion tied to it. But in reality, there's really a, a completely different story, and it's a really positive story when it comes to the results of what free trade has done. Right, right. Yeah, and the, and the problem is uh, it's kind of classic – uh, economic problem of the seen versus the unseen. Um, so, you know, when you, when you have protectionism, you see uh, jobs and production in those prote- protected industries, right? We mm-hmm. just protected the steel industry. Hey, look, there's 500 steel jobs. It's very obvious. It's very tangible. But what we don't see are the higher prices paid by downstream industries. You don't see the investments that just simply aren't made because those downstream industries are no longer profitable. Um, You don't see the problems that a lack of competition cause for innovation and for dynamism and kind of this economic, you know, you want the economy to, to move forward and kind of move towards more innovative, more productive industries. You don't see any of that. So it's very simple uh, and easy to look at that and go, hey, 500 jobs, that's great. Um, but all those unseen harms uh, dramatically, just tremendously outweigh the seen benefits of protectionism. And that's not some sort of ideological thing. I mean, it's left, right, and center. You talk to any economist, almost almost any economist on the planet. Yeah. And, and will tell you. Go ahead. Bad. Yeah. And, and, I'll say, and they'll tell you exactly that, that, that the, the costs dramatically outweigh the benefits. And I think the, the, the audience, uh, a conservative audience, understands this in, in every other realm, right? Like yeah. Obamacare, let's say in theory, let's say right. these things worked. Obamacare is a tax, essentially a tax increase, along with mil- tons of regulations and all of other, a lot of other problems. But fundamentally, yeah. it's taking a bunch of money. The government's saying, I'm going to take a bunch of money from these people, and I'm going to give it to these people because yeah. they really deserve it. Um, and- yeah, exactly. And the, the, thing, the other difficult thing with trade is that trade, unlike, say, a subsidy to Solyndra, you're not actually taking money and then going to the treasury and then going back to, to the the protected company or the subsidized company. Instead, what you're doing is you're just simply 
forcing consumers to directly subsidize protected industries through higher prices. So when you protect an industry, of course, the prices that, that lets the industry uh, raise its prices, which it does. Of course, steel prices are now 50% higher than they were a year ago because of, of tariffs. Um, but you and I and downstream industries that use steel are paying more, and we're paying it directly to those those, those protected companies, those companies that sat beside the president and smiled when he implemented these tariffs and, and lobbied for these tariffs. Um, it's a very unconservative thing when you start thinking about it. It's a bunch of well-connected guys get together, they go lobby for protection, and that protection allows them to essentially extract extra money from you and me. Um, in almost any other context, you'd have a conservative revolt on your hands, particularly when, you know, you're, you're essentially doing, you know, we, we all revolted, you mentioned Obamacare, um, you know, the idea of putting the government between us and our doctors, that's a, that's a problem. But now, you know, conservatives, some conservatives are, are rejoicing at the idea of putting the government between themselves and uh, their suppliers, their retailers. Um, and, and it's really, you know, a, a, it's the same thing. You uh, you wrote a paper a while ago um, uh, and went through I would say you know dozens and dozens of examples of uh, you know yeah. very very thorough Scott um, and you, you went through all these examples of attempts at this because it's yeah. it's a tempting thing to try and you want to find a way well maybe we can make it work they've tried it with tires they've tried it now with washing machines you go back they've they've hit steel and aluminum and it's not just Trump people like to blame this all on Trump oh, yeah. it goes back for I mean you know our entire yeah. history is littered with examples of us t- putting a tariff on a specific industry, and you were kind of able to break that down to cost per job saved. Um, can, right. you, can you kind of walk through how that works? Sure. So, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, protectionism is nothing new. Uh, it has uh, been a somewhat uh, routine part of American policy dating back over a century. Um, and, you know, a bunch of ag- economists, have over the years tried to examine, well, what are the actual effects? So they go back. So this isn't like, uh, you know, projections of what could happen or what will likely happen. They actually looked at the actual effects. And what they found over and over again is immense consumer costs for the jobs that are allegedly or supposedly saved in the industries that are getting the protection. So the number we found, um, so I took a bunch of different studies, and they all used essentially the same methodologies. And what we found is that it costs American consumers um, $620,000 per year for every job saved or protected in the industries that were getting protection. So very simple example, if you have 100 jobs saved in the bicycle industry, um, that's costing you and me and every other American consumer uh, $620,000 per year to save that one job. And, you know, the average manufacturing wage these days, and this is all in 2017 dollars, average manufacturing wage is a little under $50,000 a year. So that difference is, is just economic loss. It is just you might as well set that $570,000 on fire because that is the economic loss that you're talking about. And so it's over and over again that this happens. And so, you know, there are dozens of products examined, dozens of periods of U.S. history, all producing the same result, Um, which is why I I named the paper Doomed to Repeat It, because it appears that we still haven't learned those lessons. Yeah, I mean, and again, like it would be more 
ideal to essentially take $600,000 and distribute it to 12 people. Because, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, at least it would make a little bit more sense, though it would right. be a completely uh, wrong policy as well. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we try to stress is the idea that, look, you know, the, the solution is not, again, just to hand every worker $50,000 a year and no. tell him to go sit on his couch. No. It's to just encourage adjustment and to encourage adjustment into other sectors. You know, we have 3.8% unemployment right now. It's not like we're, you know, um, there, there's this uh, huge um, problem in the labor market for, for, for <laughs> people getting jobs. It's just you want them to be in jobs that are supported by the market, that are supported, that, that the market is pushing them towards, not that are simply being propped up by the government. Um, can you walk me through, Scott? I'm, I'm really honestly starting to lose track of how many tariffs have been threatened, how many have yeah. actually been implemented. Can you kind of give us a sense of how many of these things are real, how many things are threat? Yeah. And if you have, uh, the, you know, I know you mentioned steel, which is up 50%. I know washing machines are up at least 17% the last time number right. I saw. Right. Uh, can you kind of go through uh, the state of affairs right now? Sure. And so I'll, I'll start with what, what we focus on, which are the discretionary actions by the White House. You know, we have uh, other tariffs that have been in place forever, um, and we have other duties that come about through what we call unfair trade uh, cases. Um, so we'll leave those aside. Let's just start in January with the discretionary tariffs that the president himself has approved and implemented. Um, so you have solar panels. Uh, and washing machines, so that was in January. Then you have steel and aluminum in March. All of those tariffs are officially in place. The steel and aluminum tariffs originally were, they exempted some countries, Canada, Mexico, the European Union, um, a few others. Now those exemptions have gone away. So you, we essentially have a global tariff on steel and aluminum this, at this point, as well as global tariffs on, on washing machines and solar panels. Now, that's, so that's what we have in place. Um, on July 6th, uh, the United States will be imposing another 25% tariff on about $38 billion in Chinese imports. So that will come in. Um, at right about that time, um, basically every major country will now be retaliating against the United States, against U.S. exports, in essentially the same amounts. So um, that's where we are right now. The president has promised additional tariffs, um, promised them for automobiles, um, promised them for another $200 billion in Chinese imports. Those are not in place. Those haven't been done. Those aren't even scheduled. So we, we kind of just, those are kind of off in, on the horizon. But what we have right now are all the ones I just described. And then again, in two weeks, we have um, 38 billion more. Mm. And it just seems to be escalating. Do you see this? Yeah. So I want to I get to a couple of the main arguments I get against the free trade position here in a second. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you do you see this escalating into, you know, full scale trade war that really negatively affects the economy? Yeah, I mean, I hope not. Right. But mm -hmm. You're really seeing it uh, increasingly difficult to walk back. Um, you know, the, one of the things that I always try to stress is that any sort of trade negotiation involves another government that has its own domestic political pressures. And it has those domestic political pressures outweigh what other, other pressures they might have. I mean, these are politicians at the end of the day. They are looking to stay in their positions. Um, so, um, 
you know, when you ratchet up the rhetoric, when you ratchet up the kind of hostility, it makes it very, very difficult for anyone to back down. And of course, the president himself is a pretty stubborn guy. He's pretty deeply entrenched in this as well. And so it, it really, it's, it's not easy to see an exit strategy here. Um, I'm still hoping that cooler heads will prevail. And, you know, I, I'd say we kind of have our toes uh, edged over the cliff, but we haven't jumped off yet. Okay. Um, you know, the steel and aluminum stuff, the washing machine stuff, that's bad. But like you said, it's not, you know, you're not tanking the economy. Um, you know, if, you, if, we're, if we're six months from now and it's all accelerated in the ways I, I described earlier, then, you know, we, we could have some, some bigger problems. Okay, let's go through a couple of things that I've been hearing uh, over mm-hmm. the past. Because, you know, I, I sure. see, uh, to make my position clear to the audience, you probably, they probably already know it, but you know, I really see free trade as one of the best things that's ever happened to humanity. It's like literally at that level. It is, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talk about um, the global improvements, how we've pulled, you know, billions of people out of poverty. The, the, yeah. the, the star in that movie is free trade. And so, yeah. you know, it's like to the point of like we're saving you know, hundreds of millions of lives, life is, you know, children, you know, millions of children that, that otherwise would die on a daily basis uh, are not dying because right. of the benefits of this. It's that important. Yeah. It's a central thing that, you know, that capitalism has done. America has, has highlighted and has really bought, brought real uh, uh, prosperity to the world. So I, I yeah. And I, to American families. Let's not forget. Yes, I mean, absolutely. you know, uh, it's always hard to pinpoint a number, but the studies generally show that American families save thousands of dollars per year um, due to trade and globalization and the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's all these awesome things we get, you know, iPhones. And yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, it's just really cool how it all how it all works. Oh, out. yeah. I mean, when you sat back and you think about when you walk into a Walmart and you think, good God, look at what's happened to get all this stuff here. It's incredible when you really think about yeah. it. Um, there's certainly famous essays that have been written about this, and, sure. and uh, it's, it's really interesting. So let me give you some of the, the pushback, though, because we do get it, especially with Trump sure. being so, uh, you know, he's one of his, I think, only real ideological positions is he's a productionist. Yeah. It really is the thing. He's been consistent on that for decades, uh, as well as, you know, it, it really c- it connects with his former real leftward leaning um, because this is a really a union position. It's been a Democrat position for, for many, many years. Yeah. So we get this a lot. Um, number one, it's just a negotiating tactic. He's going out there. Right. He's, he's making big tariff threats. We saw um, an offer from Germany to get rid of tariffs on automobiles. And this is the sort of stuff he's chasing after. Sure, he's implementing right. some of these, but eventually they'll all be gone. What's your take? Right. Well, so, so far, the negotiating strategy hasn't worked very well. Um, look, you know, anything's possible. It's, you know, geopolitics and diplomacy are something you really can't. It's not like a, it's not like a tariff and an economic model. Um, you know, personalities in politics, they, they do shift. But so far, the results are not very good. Um, a few countries, smaller countries, have made deals in the context of the steel and aluminum tariffs. But overall, um, all we've seen so far is retaliation. Um, the Canadians, the Mexicans, uh, Turkey, India, Russia, the EU, uh, you know, their list is, is getting pretty long at this point. Mm-hmm. So, and as I mentioned, the longer that you ratchet and the longer and louder you have this type of rhetoric, the harder it is 
to get foreign governments, politicians there to back down. Um, you know, one of the polls I saw recently that was just stunning is that Canadians were asked a week ago, two weeks ago, after the whole G7 uh, kerfuffle, they, they were asked whether they would uh, approve of retaliation against U.S. exports, even knowing that all of this was going to hurt the Canadian economy. And it was something like 80% of Canadians <laughs> were on board with that, even phrased in that way, um, because of the political rhetoric, because it's so tense right now. So, so look, um, you know, anything's possible, but it doesn't look good right now as this being some sort of brilliant negotiating tactic. And, and the other thing is that, you know, you do hear these little, you, you hear these little nuggets about countries being willing to compromise or we're willing to make a deal. But again, those deals really haven't materialized. And right. oftentimes you're getting really small bits of information about, you know, uh, a certain industry saying something, but that's just simply not how trade negotiations work. You're going to have to do the hard work of governments sitting down and making agreements, agreements that, uh, that not only um, conform to their own domestic legal procedures, I mean, we've got to get Congress involved, for example, in the United States, but also that uh, uh, you know, conform to our international agreement, our trade agreement obligations. And so none of this is just as simple as snapping your fingers and saying, oh, now we have a deal. All right. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes here. Um, I want to go on the intellectual property. People would say with China all the time, they're stealing our intellectual property. We have to do something. Right, right. So I actually agree that we have to do something, but there's a smart way and a not smart way to do something about it. And again, tariffs are the very not smart way to do things, <laughs> particularly unilaterally. Um, you know, uh, not, it's not just the studies about how the harms they cause. It's also there, there's a lot of history of trying to unilaterally bully countries with tariffs or tariff threats, mm -hmm. um, and they just don't work very well. Um, in fact, uh, one study looked at all of the examples of the United States during the Reagan era and in the 90s that we tried to kind of bully countries into doing what we wanted um, by, through tariff threats, mm -hmm. and the results are miserable. Under 20% of the time did the country actually back down once there was a retaliation in place. In fact, they, they kind of hardened their positions at that point. So, well, how do we address Chinese intellectual property policies? Yeah, well, and we got about 30 seconds. Actually, Sorry? Yeah. So what we actually can do is we can do things like go to the World Trade Organization, where China actually does respond after a dispute has been filed. We get together with our allies, uh, the Europeans and others, who have the same exact issues. And we, we all get together and do this, um, instead of, of course, attacking them with our own tariffs. All right. Scott Lincecum from the Cato Institute. Uh, definitely someone you should follow on Twitter, at Scott Lincecum. Scott, thanks for coming on the program, man. My pleasure. Um, and, you know, to that point, it's it's not only is it a, a good idea, um, you know, because there are problems with the intellectual property, but punishing yourself with higher prices is not a good way of dealing with it. We're back in a second. Uh, 888 is the number. Pat Gray. Unleashed. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Blaze Radio Network at theblaze.com slash radio.
Gray is here. Or he'll be here on Monday. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three is the phone number. Get in line now. Uh, I think we may do a few more phone calls on the other side. Also, we're going to do spoons. Spoons, uh, if you don't know, was a fantastic uh, part of the Pat and Stew show back in the day, and it's been retired uh, for a few months now. But we decided to bring it back since I'm filling in. I've got food, and I like food, so we have an opportunity to have. Uh, some Taco Bell chips that have just come on the market. We'll do those here in a little bit and maybe some other uh, fun stuff. Uh, give you a little review of what you should be eating this weekend, which is very important. How much time did you say we had? I'm sorry, I missed it. About two minutes. Let's go to see if we can do Jackie in uh, in Kentucky. Jackie, welcome to the Pat and Stu, or, uh, Pat and Stu show. Whatever show this is. Hi, Pat. Um, I have a suggestion Hi, that I'm hoping somebody might... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an idea um, that might, I'm hoping might take hold. You know, Obama spent millions of dollars in advertising to get people to sign up for Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So why can't the current uh, administration use um, some money in advertising and drop leaflets over Latin America, like kind of like we did in World War II before Nagasaki and Hiroshima, warning the people, and tell them that they're going to be separated from their children, that they cannot come to this country illegally, um, I saw a Fox News report the other day where they asked one of the people there, um, and they were told by people in their home country that they would be treated very well here. Yeah, and, and I and, have no doubt that they are treated very well. But and Jackie, they, we're up against the, yeah, they can't come here. yeah, we're up against the clock, and, and that's true. It's it's one of those things. And thanks for the call. I know there's a an improvement actually. The argument really for this policy is yes, it's improved their lives from their hellhole they came from, but. It's not as much improvement as we would like, which is not a particularly compelling argument. Um, you know, I think once the now that the policy isn't there anymore, it's not going to do have any effect. Um, and, you know, you needed the policy to spread for it to actually be a legitimate deterrent. But the main problem with your idea is the earth. You can't just drop papers on the earth. Do you know what that would happen? You know what global warming, how that would affect our, our environment? I mean, guys, reduce, reuse, recycle. How many times do we have to say it? Pat Gray, only on the Blaze Radio Network. is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to it. Uh, it's Stu in for Pat Gray on Pat Gray Unleashed. It's been really fun the last couple of days. Thanks for uh, joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, Pat is going to be joining, uh, coming back on uh, Monday, which is a little earlier than expected, so we're kind of excited about that. We've got spoons coming up here in just a little bit. I want to go through a couple things, kind of clean up. Uh, we've got uh, so many great stories, and of course, we're not going to get anywhere close to getting to them. But that's just what we do here. This is incredible, though. Let me give you something that's absolutely incredible. I don't, I'm trying not to oversell it here. This is something I don't think I understood, and it comes from uh, Stephen Gutowski. He's uh, with the Washington Free Beacon. So, my impression, Washington Free Beacon, if you don't know it, conservative uh, you know, website. So I don't think this is a negative. I don't think it's even being presented as a negative. 
which you would normally think of. But think of what this is. Let me read this to you. I don't think people really understand how many guns American civilians own. Small arms survey just updated this week found there are about 400 million civilian-owned guns in the U.S. This, of course, makes it by far the number one uh, country in civilian gun ownership in the entire world, with the next thing being India at about 70 million. So right off the bat, you got a great stat here. 400 million guns. We have almost six times as many as anyone else in the world. Six times. There are more civilian guns in the U.S., then there are people. It's another great, that's great stat number two. More civilian-owned guns in the U.S. than there are people. Now, I, I do think that people understand that we really like our firearms here in the United States. There's a lot of them. But listen to what this means. Every law enforcement agency in America combined has about 1 million firearms. That means that American civilians have about 400 times as many firearms as American police. In May alone, American civilians brought somewhere between 2 million, around 2 million firearms in May. That's twice as many firearms as every police department in America combined in one month. Similarly, the American military is is estimated to hold about 4.5 million firearms. That means American civilians have 100 times as many firearms as every branch of the military combined. If you combine May and April's gun-related background check numbers, you get 4.7 million. That means the American public has bought more guns in the last two months than the entire military has on hand. Furthermore, the Small Arms Survey estimates all the world's law enforcement agencies combined hold about 22.7 million guns. In 2017 alone, the FBI processed 25.2 million gun checks. That means the American people bought more guns in 2017 than every police agency in the world combined. God, I just want to see the flag right now. Between 2012 and 2017, the FBI did more than 135 million civilian gun checks. That's more than the estimated 133 million guns held by all of the world's military combined. Hmm. Brad Stagg's joining us. I think it's called being prepared for anything. Yeah, it really is. If nothing else, prepared for anything. They always say that the Second Amendment, well, it's not really a deterrent. If you're if you're standing on your front porch and a tank comes down your driveway, what are you going to do with your AR-15? That is not mm-hmm. how, what the, that's not how you think about it. Mm-hmm. So think about it is you've got more, they've got to deal with a hundred times as many weapons as they have as they're coming to roll over your country. Now, we all know all right. that the idea that the, the U.S. government coming in some sort of you know, civilian revolt and attacking is is an unlikely proposition. Unlikely. So you're saying there's a chance. So I'm saying there's a chance in the dumb and dumber sort of way. Right. The point, though, is this is the reason it's unlikely. Yeah. Who would ever bother? You know, the issue is, you know, it's one thing to to put this. 
uh, you know, in this context of you at your house, right? Mm-hmm. You at your house versus a bunch of tanks rolling in. Right. That's not what it's like. Think about it from their perspective. They've got to roll through 400 million guns and try to take them and try to kill all the people that have them in this situation. And then if you are to do that and you murder how many millions of people, what do you have left to rule? Well, that's just it. Yeah. Once you've passed that point, it's not, you know, it's a, it's not a country anymore. It's just a killing field. And yeah. I don't know if we ever get to that point or not. I've often wondered what revolution will look like in this country. Yeah. Because there will be some sort of a revolution. It's been unavoidable in human history. Yeah. If you give it enough time, eventually it happens. It obviously happened even here. We're like a volcano that's way overdue. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've had the longest run of any constitution in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a great run here in America. But I mean, that is, you know, over the last five years, America, the American public has purchased more guns than every military force on the planet combined has. You know what I say to that? Good. Mm-hmm. Yes, Good. Indeed. yes, indeed. God bless America. I want the mm-hmm. Star Spangled Banner and the cheesy MIDI tones. <laughs> I want a waving flag. I want an eagle That's, flapping. Yeah. That's what I want right now. Yeah, eagles flying always make me cry. Yeah. It really does. Football <laughs> games every time. It's like, oh, man, this is a great country. It makes me proud. It does. It makes me proud. You know, look, it's a, it's a, it's a different priority than I think a lot of places on, on Earth have, and a lot of people don't understand our, our, our love nice. for the Second they really Amendment. Don't. They really don't. But, I mean, first of all, it protects against a revolution, number one. Second of all, it's our right to, to do them, and, and, and it, is a, it is a right for people to be able to protect themselves, not because the gov- American government gives it to us, but because God gives it to us. Exactly. Um, and when you look at I will say, though, even that, I just didn't know. I don't think I had the perspective that we have 100 times as many guns as the military. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. It's uh, the other thing, though, is the military has a lot of big, big bombs. They have big ones, and they equal a lot of guns. They so, do. Yeah. And, and so look, there's, the, the, there's no force on earth more powerful than the American military. But like, think of this in a because I always love that talking point the left always brings up. Oh, what are you going to do with your AR-15 when the American military comes? Well, they don't all come to your house at the same time, right? This is the, you have to look at it from their perspective. Yes, they could nuke all of the cities. Mm-hmm. Then what? Yeah, you got a, a wasteland. Yeah. A bunch nuclear, of nuclear yeah. wastelands. What's the yeah. point of, of 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 even ruling that? Right. You got a, you got a bunch of empty property that you can't visit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The, the point here is that it would be incredibly difficult. Think about this: the American military, for all of its uh, incredible might and and skill and talent and bravery, has had trouble going into places like Iraq oh. when they have to go door to door. Exactly. When it's you have to, to deal with IEDs and guns, just, even that has been difficult. Can you mm-hmm. imagine if they tried to do it here? Now, of course, there's no evidence to believe that they're any... No, I mean, I, this is right. all hypothetical and ridiculous. Well, I've seen Red Dawn. It could happen. <laughs> Red, that's true. You never know. Did you see the remake of it, though? Yeah, it just it was it was good, but not as good. It was just, it? Was it good? Were you going to stand was, by that it one? It was all right. I don't it know. Was, I'm testing you here on your reviewing yeah, because was, we're about to do spoons. Yeah, that's so, true. That's why I heard there was food and spoons, and I was yeah. Here I am. Yes, yeah, so here you mean, are. It wasn't for the stimulating intellectual conversation. It was for the it was for the food. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah. So let me uh, run this by you. I had this theory on the radio show today. All right. Uh, Glenn saw Ocean's Eight. Okay, the, the all female. The all female Ocean's Eight. Right. And he said it was okay. He said it was all right. Now, I have not seen it yet, but I have an, a, a pretty strong opinion on the first three. And they have a grouping of, of movies that this, this seems to happen over and over again. When you have a movie, which I consider Ocean's Eleven kind of like a classic. Oh, yeah. I absolutely. love Ocean's Eleven. Yep. And there's something, there's something about uh, movies where they can hit a home run on the first one 
and really destroy the series with the next couple. Yes. Yeah. Ocean's 11, great. Uh-huh. Ocean's 12, terrible. Ocean's 13, pretty freaking bad. Great. Right? The Matrix, mm-hmm. fantastic. Yep. Matrix 2, pretty bad. That's true. Matrix yeah. 3, probably even worse. Yeah, you're right. All right. Uh, Hangover. Yes. Great. That is yes. a great party Vegas yes. movie. Yep. Hangover 2, terrible. Yeah. Uh-uh. Hangover 3, even worse. Yes. Yeah, they went downhill. They yeah. took a concept and just beat it to death. And beat it to death. Yeah. I would say this, too, and I wasn't a huge, as huge a fan of the movie, but, I mean, it's a classic. The Exorcist mm-hmm. is known as the, one of the great horror films of all time. Yep. The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, is known as one of the worst movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Not the worst Exorcist, not the worst horror movie, one of the worst horror movies of all time. Think about this, though. In contrast, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm-hmm. great movie. Mm-hmm. Where was the sequel? Nothing. Nothing. No sequel to that. Nothing movie. at all. E.T., one of the highest grossing movies of all time. No sequel. So, well, was of. that planned? Mm. Or was that just somebody smart going, you know. Let's not ruin it. We really shouldn't ruin it. It's but tough. That's a big cash grab, I, though. I, yeah, I was going to say, no one in Hollywood has ever said, let's not ruin it. Right. They've just said, <laughs> let's see if we can squeeze a, a couple more bucks out of it. That's interesting. I, I could easily see, especially E.T., getting a sequel at some mm-hmm. point. Now, the the. the conspiracy theory in all of that is that they were designed to spoon feed the public regarding extraterrestrials and uh, UFOs. That is the, that's the, <laughs> is that, that real? yes, that's, yes, that's out there. And that they thought, all right, we're just going to leave it right there because it's part of the spoon feeding process. So it wasn't a movie to make money. It was a movie to indoctrinate people into well, believing you or not was, believing. Let's just say it was 50-50 money and indoctrination. So wait, what are they indoctrinating them to? To the belief in, in the belief of, uh, in uh, extraterrestrials and UFOs, so they which actually has more people. I don't. I can't remember what the percentage is now, but there mm-hmm. are like a majority of Americans believe that there's life on other planets that could possibly be coming this way and UFOs. So maybe it did its job. So, but what's the goal of it? Right, like the, once you indoctrinate them, mm-hmm. then once you what? get well, let's, okay, go reveal. back to the fifties. You mm-hmm. you have the, the the spaceship and the guy comes out lands yeah. in the front lawn. People would freak. It would ruin religions. It would ruin stock markets. Right. It would just change the. Now, not so much. I think it's. Hmm. If you had the. Of course, now that everybody has a camera, we never see UFOs. But if one landed on the White House, at the front line of the White House now, <laughs> and somebody got out and you saw it on CNN, you'd watch. I, I feel like if, it, if an alien dropped down and mm-hmm. landed on the White House lawn, it would be like the third story of the day. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, yeah. even, be, it wouldn't right. even leave the news. First, it would be Trump <laughs> took away more babies at the border. Right. Melania's jacket, uh-huh. and uh, then, number two. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, by the yeah. way, by extraterrestrial the way, life yeah. been dec- discovered. It's, it's in Washington. Uh, and, uh, and they're reportedly here because Trump is destroying the universe right. uh, in the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. That's, they would blame Trump for that's it, That's what too. it would be, yeah. They would. All right. Exactly. Uh, do you have time to do spoons with us today? I do. Okay. I do. Um, so uh, let's do it. Uh, a new episode of our fabulous uh, segment called Spoons. Uh, uh, spoons. Voice work provided by Jeffy. So we, of course, uh, thank him for that. Um, yeah, you've got a couple over there. We've got three things actually today. Um, uh, in front of uh, Brad, he's got the uh, mild and fire Taco Bell new tortilla chips. Mm. Now, it says on the fire bag, challenge accepted. Which is making me a little uh, nervous um, because uh, yeah, they're if they're based on their hot sauces, because um, I never got the fire sauce. 
No, I'm a complete. Always, I'm a wuss. I always got the mild sauce because it had just enough of a zing to it that didn't burn your tongue off. Now, I feel like the people in Texas are like, fire sauce is nothing at Taco Bell. This is, you know, a real man eat like mm-hmm. Texas salsa and hot sauce that really burns your mouth off. My father-in-law was a big, big fan of peppers. Really? Oh, and he would, he loved any of the pepper. I think he had some Texan in him. Mm. And, you know, the, he'd be breathing fire. Oh. I had no desire to do that. No, I don't no. know. If, I don't think food's supposed to hurt you. No, it really isn't. It's not supposed it to. It really shouldn't. All right, should we start mild here? Yeah, let's start Let's mild. start with the mild. Now, this is a Taco Bell. Now, they've released a store uh, brand um, of Taco Bell chips, tortilla chips, I guess with the flavor of their sauces that you can get at the restaurant. Now, these are not cheesy chips like a Dorito. Seems to just, smells like, kind of like salsa. Uh, or maybe like a, a fiery sauce. Let's try to give it a shot here. Hmm. They're crunchy. Hmm. Crunchy. It's got good seasoning. Hmm. It's not bad. They're, it's a pretty good chip. There's it, no bite to it at all. No, I none. Mean, it, it's got a um, no bite to it at all. Mm-hmm. Now this is the mild chip. Mm-hmm. Not going to have a big bite. It reminds me uh, a little bit of the taste of the Mexican pizza uh, at Taco yes. Bell. Have yep. you had that? Mm-hmm. I used to love the Mexican pizza. Loved it, and then I looked at the calorie count. That's a- <laughs> that accounts for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I know the feeling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there is a. Uh, hmm. Do I taste paprika? Yeah, there is paprika. There's something there in there. There is paprika there. in here. It says mm-hmm. extractives of paprika. See, which is really nice. I gotta say, I that's a chip I could eat. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it has not- flavor. It's not bland, and it doesn't ruin your taste buds. For oh, wait a second. Am I tasting a little, just a little heat there on the on the aftertaste? Very, you, very subtle. Very subtle, yeah, but it's mm-hmm. it's there. It like develops, and it has almost like a. Mm. It almost tastes like you're kind of eating a, a Mexican pizza or a taco. Mm-hmm. It's got it, it feels a little bit more than just the sauce, right? I gotta say, I'm a fan of these. Now we have a a rating scale from one to eighteen. Mm-hmm. Jeffy, the highest number, as you know, Brad, mm-hmm. he, you've talked to him many times. You know, he doesn't know a number above eighteen. That's true. Um, That's true. I would give these a uh, 15 on the scale of 1 to 18. I'm a fan of these. I'm going to go with um I'm going to go with a 14 because it, I'm a little disappointed there wasn't a little bit just a slight more kick to it. Yeah, there's almost no you're right, no kick to these. Mm. There, so, I can't figure out what that heat is in the there's something going on. Yeah. It's maybe little, just my spit that has a little of spice to it. Maybe you have a medical condition. It, it could, could be, be that. Be. It yeah, could just be completely I, unrelated to the chips. It could be actually. All right, we have two more things to try here. Next up is the Fire chip. Now these. I might regret this, might I? Yeah, because I'm not a huge spicy guy, um, and these chips are just bright red. Like if you see these, wow, I mean, yeah, they are bright. When it, now mm. that, this is not bright red because of sauce. I can tell you the the chip is actually red. Right. It's they just made it the chip colored red to make you think it's hotter. Mm-hmm. Let's see if it uh, plays. Match the color of the bag. All right there you go. <laughs> Let's see. Mm. They smell the same. Mm-hmm. Crunchy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Different spices altogether, isn't totally, it? Totally, totally different taste. There's a little kick there. Yeah. A little, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. overwhelming, but it's there. No. Yep. I mean, it's... It's uh, it's not fire, fire hot, but yeah. it's um, but it's still building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be interested to see, after an entire bag of these, mm-hmm. you might have a little bit of an effect. And what your fingers would look like after that, too. Mm. Kind of turn them red. This would be... Oh, uh, yeah. There, it's... It's, it's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just in the in the uh, coating. I think it's in baked into the chip. Baked into too. the chip. I think you're right. I think you're right. Here's here's what I would say about these. And this is kind of my complaint mm. sometimes with uh, spicy food generally. Like this is a chip that is just spicy. 
It's it doesn't have the nearly right. as good a flavor. No, as you're these. right. Yeah, you know, it's just it's hotter. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of all they did with it. It's a tortilla chip, and it's hot. Yeah. Where this is like, there's some real flavor in the milds. It's more like having a um, whole meal, like you said. That, yeah. That's that's more of a meal, and this is more of a. Yeah. I just want something hot in my mouth. Yeah. And I want it to keep burning. I can honestly say, let me let me just go out on a limb here, Brad. You mm. tell me if you agree with this. I can honestly see the, these fire chips being a very uh, interesting topping on like a taco or a burrito, like yes. stuffing them inside. Yes. Because, Crush them up. Yeah. Yes. You get a little little crunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could make a, a taco with this being the shell. I like that idea. Um, I do like that idea. As a straight out chip by itself, no. to me, it leaves a little bit to be desired. No. Um, on a scale of 1 to 18, they're edible. They've got a little heat there. Mm-hmm. I give it about a 10. See, I was going to go with a 9. All right, okay. Just All so right. I didn't overtake your 10, number one. But actually, I was thinking of a 9 prior to that. So, right. yeah. All right, nine. Uh, we have one more thing. Uh, do we have actual? Where are the, uh, do we have the bowls here? Uh, the other's coming in. Uh, sorry, I lost my uh, headphones there. Oh, yeah, here we go. Bowls. Uh, wow. It's fun watching Marissa try to avoid the camera. I mean, you could have opened this stuff. It's all like, aren't you supposed to pour the right? bowls? Like, do, Marissa was the uh, patent stew producer. She works with uh-huh. us over on radio now. Uh-huh. And she's forgotten how to do this segment. Come on in. Forgotten. What are you going to be? People know you're here now. The secret's out, Marissa. All right. Now they're all over the desk. Look at that. That's why you don't have me do it. Right. All right. Now, uh, the, uh, the topic uh, here is uh, chocolate frosted flakes. Uh, two of my favorite things. Now, I freaking love frosted flake cereal. Uh, frosted flakes are probably on the cereal scale for me, a seventeen or eighteen. They're yes. that good. Oh I, yeah, I've regular frosted loved. flakes, awesome. I could eat a whole box of them. I love them. These are chocolate frosted flakes. I've never had these. What I'm expecting here, Brad, I would say, is in the general vicinity of a cocoa pebbles. Yeah, um, I can already I, smell it, and it's kind of yeah. like that same. Mm, I'm pretty excited cocoa. about these. I gotta say, I'm pretty excited. I've been about eating these. frosted flakes since they were sugar frosted flakes. Oh, nice. Go that down. goes way back. Go. Let's give it a shot here ah. on spoons. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's subtle. Very. That's exactly the word I was going to use. The chocolate is very subtle. It, it 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 really. It's you know how like you ever get a granola bar, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're dipped in chocolate. Right. Sometimes they're drizzled with chocolate. Mm-hmm. This is like a drizzle vibe. It is because mm-hmm. the chocolate is there in the beginning, sort of, and it kind of fades away, and then you get the aftertaste of just frosted flakes. It's interesting. Which is a good thing. Uh-huh. Oh, great. I mean, the chocolate itself is not not particularly decadent. No. You know, it's 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 just a hint. It smells like there would be more chocolate than what you taste. Yeah. <laughs> which is strange. It's a very good analysis of that. You're right. Yeah. It's it's more of a a um not an aural experience, mm-hmm. but a a nasal experience. Well, I gotta say, I still like them quite a bit. Yeah. Um, now, if I'm going to say 17 for regular Frosted Flakes, I'll probably put these at about a 16 or a 15, maybe mm, a 15. Yeah, I hate, I, man, I hate to be a copycat, but I was going with a 15 on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really a good cereal. Like, yeah. I would definitely recommend you having this in your house. Mm. Oh, yeah, if you're a Frosted yeah. Flake and a chocolate mm-hmm. person, you'll, yeah. You're going to like them. I mean, them. you can't go wrong. So, really good. I would say, again, uh, so I really like these, these uh, the mild uh, Taco Bell chips. Yes. Really like the uh, mm-hmm. cocoa, Chocolate Frosted Flakes. Maybe yep. a tad of a disappointment on the Chocolate Frosted Flakes. But I like that they didn't it's, overwhelm you yeah, too much. Yeah. A lot Wait, of times they hold don't. Hold on. Wait a minute. Were you about to say overwhelming with chocolate? Sometimes. Here's my. How like, can you get overwhelmed with you chocolate? Know, like chocolate, chocolate, chocolate chip ice cream yes, or like super the, dark chocolate mm, okay, can yeah. overwhelm right. the rest of the flavor. Yeah. This is a complimentary vibe. Yeah, it is. Which is okay yeah, with right. me. And that's I really do like it. And then the fire ones, I would say, are just like 
Eh, I, w- I wouldn't per- personally no. recommend. No. I mean, if you were starving to death in the middle of the desert, you might eat a bag of those. Yeah. But so, then you'd regret it. There you go. That's the way it is. Uh, thank you, Brad. This oh, is, absolutely. Uh, this has been fun. We have, I, I don't know if we've ever done a, a, a Spoons episode um, other than you popping in you know, here and there. Yeah, here and there. You mm-hmm. know, I was, uh, I was, that was way, boy, that was a long time it's ago. A long too. time ago. Time, time goes See? by. Yes, it does. Um, this, I guess this Spoons is brought to you by WaxRx. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, when you think about food, you think about earwax. You know, don't, we, don't we, you? we think differently, maybe. Well, it's possible. Okay. Well, let me put it this way. You've got kids. Yeah, I do. They swim. Mm-hmm. Oh, you ever had one with an earache? Oh yes. See? Oh yes. Too much earwax, unclean ears can cause swimmer's ear, which is basically a little fungal infection in there. Mm. So if you have on uh, on the shelf at home, if you have the Wax RX system, you could actually nip it in the bud. So when those kids get in the pool, you just clean the ears out, oh, get wow. all that excess ear. See, I'm giving you a tip, That's and this is designed legit. to save you anywhere between eighty five and two hundred and fifty bucks. Because that's what you'd pay if you went to the doctor. I like I like food See? and I like money. Mm-hmm. And, so and and you multiply that per kid. Wow. I mean, it gets it. I may just have more expensive. kids just to get the money. Exactly. There we so go. if you go to usewaxrx.com and use promo code radio for just forty measly dollars, you can have the kit standing by whenever you need it. It's usewaxrx.com promo code radio. More in a second. Pat Gray on the Blaze Radio Network. Returns on the Blaze Radio Network. Stu in for Pat Gray's back on Monday. Uh, let me tell you a story about Joseph Chandler. He uh, committed suicide in 2002 in East Lake, Ohio. Uh, and it took oddly a week to find his body. Now, a suicide, you know, usually going to have people popping in, someone's going to notice. It took a whole week. And at that point, it was very, uh, very badly decomposed. Authorities learned that Joseph Chandler uh, lived a solitary life. His co-workers kind of thought he was odd, isolated, and eccentric. He occasionally would exhibit very bizarre behavior. Um, for example, he lived his entire life with a suitcase packed in his apartment at all times. Sometimes he would leave his hometown of East Lake, Ohio, for days or weeks at a time. In his bank account when he died, $82,000, but no next of kin. Who were going to bring the money? People tried to find out. When they tried to uh, find out where the money should go, investigators say they determined that Joseph Chandler was not Joseph Chandler. Joseph Chandler was an eight-year-old boy who died in a car accident in 1945. So who is this guy? Hmm. In 1978, Joseph Chandler forged a social security application and stole the identity of Joseph Chandler. The cold case went on for many, many years. And in 2014, the U.S. Marshals took over the case. Amazing. We'll tell you where this ended up in just a minute. The Blaze Radio Network.
Gray Unleashed. Welcome to it. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three is the number. We uh, are joined by Sarah Gonzalez, uh, yes. of course, uh, host of the wonderful program, The News. Thank you. And why it matters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag, I forgot the hashtag. Oh, hashtag the blaze Y. The blaze Y. Not yes. the blazing. The blaze W-H-Y. Yes. Yes. Get your questions in. Now, if you are a blaze subscriber, you may not know this uh, yet, uh, have not seen it. If you've watched the, the news and why it matters, we're doing a new thing called uh, the news and why it matters overtime, which is the longest title in the history of programs. Yes. Yeah. Say uh, that three times fast. It's not you can't, easy. You can't do it. No. But it's a pretty fun show to do. Uh, and uh, thank you for that, Sarah. And yes. we do this uh, little overtime thing every day now. So if you're a subscriber, uh, check it out. Uh, you could go to the on-demand section, right, to find yes. them? Yes, yeah, it's on-demand. Yeah. And it's just, it's the the last segment in the regular episode. Okay. So you just play the episode regular, and then you get the the bonus segment oh, cool. attached to the end. Yeah. yeah, very cool. And we get to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's usually very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about this uh, quick story, and I want to get, you have a, a, a bunch of cool stories to, that you've brought in as well. But I want to finish this one up. This is from a, a guy named Joseph Chandler commits suicide in East Lake, Ohio in 2002. This sets off a chain of events. It takes a week to find his body. No one pops by. He doesn't really have any friends. Um, eventually, they find that he was you know, lived a solitary life, was very eccentric, strange behavior, always kept a suitcase around with him that was fully packed in his apartment at all times. Hmm. He, you know, People who knew him thought he was very strange. He dies. He's got 82 grand in the bank. And they want to know what to do with the money. He has no next of kin, no will, nothing like that. Well, what they find out uh, in uh, uh, after the case is that the Joseph Chandler they believed uh, and everyone knew in town was actually not Joseph Chandler. Joseph Chandler uh, died in a car crash when he was eight years old in 1945. What? So in 1978... 33 years later, what a wonderful record-keeping system we have in America, he forged a social security application and stole the identity of Joseph Chandler. Now, this is bizarre because the real person um, was Philip Nichols. Um, Nichols was a guy who bizarrely, um, or actually, Philip Nichols is the son. Robert Ivan Nichols, sorry, um, is the person. So Robert... Is the person who stole the identity right. of the original. Okay. World War II veteran. Goes, goes, he's recognized in World War II, uh, comes back, and for whatever reason, kind of flakes out, burns his military uniform, um, and some one day in 1964, bolts, leaves the family, and they never hear from him again. They put out a missing persons report. They never heard from him. Uh, they reported him missing in 1965. There was never any attempt at contact. And they don't know where he was from 1965 to 1974 when he picked up this identity. Some He just lived for nine years completely off the off grid. Off the grid, wow. So now this guy with $82,000 in his account, they've now tracked back the family history and finally have solved who this guy is. But they still have absolutely no idea what his motivation was <laughs> to leave and no idea why seemingly he felt the need to be able to escape at a moment's notice. Um, So they don't know if he's committed some terrible crime that they don't know about. They don't know who this person is, but they are now like these cold cases that have been around for years and years and years with the new technology and and, and all of the new ways they have of really. I mean, a lot of people watch a lot of CSI and they now can solve all these crimes. So. This is pretty a pretty crazy story. That's really crazy. And I maybe you said it. I was I'm trying to 
put all of these different pieces together, mm-hmm. um, how did they figure out that it was this other guy? Uh, so they actually eventually got to a point uh, where they tested his DNA. Okay. Um, he was hospitalized two years before his death. During a medical medical procedure, a tissue sample was taken, which provided his, uh, investigators with his DNA. His DNA then led researchers to the imposter's son, Philip Nichols, in March. Okay. And, you know, what would your reaction be if your dad does this? He leaves you when you're really young. Yeah. And you never see him again. He creates a whole new identity to stay away from you. Right. Um, I was pretty, I thought that was kind of interesting. I would be thinking I must have been the world's worst child. child. (laughs) What did I do as a child to make you never want to see me again? Uh, His son in the news conference said, I have no animosity whatsoever. I always hoped that he had found a happy life somewhere. Wow. Robert Ivan Nichols never wanted to be found throughout his lifetime and even into his death. Someone out there may hold the key as to why. Wow. I'm, I'm very intrigued. This is, I want a documentary on it. Yeah. Someone supply me with one. I need a documentary. Someone needs to make one. Is it? Is it bad? Is it wrong of me that I kind of want to hear that he was like some crazy serial killer <laughs> yeah, or something? Serial killer or maybe. Uh, Especially for the document, for the movie. It's going to make mean, the documentary better if he's a serial killer. We right. All know that. That's way more entertaining. I mean, even if it's like a, a serial bank robber. Right, right. Something right, that he right. did. Something he had to be a criminal mastermind of some sort, or the story isn't fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I mean, why do you leave a suitcase just just there, just yeah. ready, waiting? Could just be that just, he was completely insane. Um, also that this is another thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> probably, so, probably. Uh, yeah. All right, I have one more for you, and yeah. then I want to get to some of your. You have a bunch of stories as well. I want to see as a, as a woman. Okay, is this appropriate behavior? <laughs> Here we go. Okay. As Doc would say, uh, now you guys decide. Yes. You yes. guys decide. Okay. You'll let me decide. Yes. I'll, I'll, nice I will you. allow you to decide The patriarchy for is yes. allowing me to decide. <laughs> Congratulations. <Okay. laughs> uh, so there is a, a guy who plays the clarinet, Eric, but dating Jennifer Lee, fellow music student, for only a few months when he applied to the Colburn Conservatory of Music in Los Angeles in 2013. So he really fantastic at uh, clarinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hoped to study under a, a distinguished clarinet professor who uh, accepts just one or two students a year. Oh, wow. In recent years, 80% of the clarinet positions in North American orchestras were filled by his students. So this guy is like wow. the guy, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, he's the only, it, I mean, if you're a clarinetting person, <laughs> you only want a clarinet with this particular yes. clarinetist, <laughs> as I believe the correct way to say that. So... He, uh, he, uh, he also gets a full-ride scholarship, including tuition, room and board, well as living, uh, living um, for meals and costs and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had studied clarinet since he was seven, uh, dreamed of studying with this famous professor. Wow. So he sends in the application, unfortunately rejected. That was just, you know, pretty much everybody gets rejected. Yeah. So he stays in school, completes his bachelor's degree, um, and, uh, you know, separately he breaks up with this girl that he's been dating. Um, but he kept trying to get this, you know, clarinet, t- clarinetist situation. <laughs> so he travels to California to audition a second time for this professor. He gets there. Professor's confused. Hadn't this student already applied? And in fact, hadn't he already turned down the opportunity to come work with me? Oh, no. The teacher asked the student about the rejection email he had received. So what happened was 
Oh, no. He got an email back from this professor. Uh, it was a Gmail account. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right there. All right. There's there. a red flag, flag I'm thinking. Flag. All right. Said, sorry, you're not getting in. At the same time, the professor gets an email from uh, someone saying, sorry, I don't want to come. What the uh, what we find out later is, of course, as all of these stories end up, as we all know, the woman he was dating, who was also a clarinet student, was a little pissed off that he was doing better than her. Court records show Miss Lee was one the, the was actually the one who sent the rejection letter from a made up email address. The judge found she also impersonated her boyfriend in an email, turning down the school's offer to study with the professor. Uh, she did not respond to the law, to the lawsuit, which was filed uh, just recently. Um, after his re-audition, he got another chance to follow his dream, which he did do, um, which is great. However, the judge has agreed that it cost him over $300,000, <gasps> as well as an additional $75,000 in legal fees and compensation for having a dream snatched from him by a person he trusted. Wow. Can you imagine that? Wow. I mean, at least he's eventually going to do it, I guess. But, you know, you miss out on tons of opportunities. Oh, yeah. In the world of clarinetting. Good, okay, right. As an expert it, on, on the clarinet. Which is a very competitive field. Very competitive field. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of big movies coming out about the clarinet <laughs> battles that go on in the, in the clarinet field uh, that yes. I'm very familiar with as, yeah. a, as a clarinet expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, that is unbelievable. And uh, would you say this is the typical female behavior? What's your comment on that? Uh, women are crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> would be my first comment. Okay. I like to believe that I am not, I'm a small subset of mm-hmm. um, not crazy women. Yes. But. There's a belief uh, in science that there are up to four women that are not crazy. Really? Up to four in our society. Yeah. Wow. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't necessarily <laughs> believe it, but uh, that's amazing. I mean, look, you know. That's awful. That's really, really rough. I will say there is some evidence that occasionally guys do bad things to women, too. We should probably throw that out there. Uh, Occasionally Eh, that happens. uh, Ish. Some evidence, but I thought that was an amazing story. Well, I thought that you were going to say that she didn't want him to move or something. Like she just didn't want him (laughs) to move. She wanted him to stay there and Mm -hmm. be with her. And that was why she did it. But no, it was just because she wanted, she was jealous. Much, much worse than that, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, at least you're making a determination. A lot of those stories end up sadly because you say, okay, I'm going to stay with the girl. Right. And then they break up anyway. Right. And you've missed the opportunities. So that's, that's already a tragic enough story to go through and like create fake email addresses. And that's, 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 that's nutty. Although I will say, if it comes from a Gmail account, uh, you know, this world-renowned clarinet professor, I'm probably going to double check why why this is coming from a Gmail account. He needs access to Google Docs, too. (laughs) He needs Gchat access. (laughs) All right. So what else do you have here, sir? Uh, I have um, one of your personal favorite organizations, Planned Parenthood. Mm, Big fan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So multiple Planned Parenthood affiliates are now suing the Trump administration over changes to a federal grant program geared toward cutting teen pregnancy rates. Okay. So. uh, Why are they suing them? Well, they are mad because the changes that the Trump administration made emphasize abstinence education. And those abstinence programs have not been rigorously tested. (laughs) <laughs> so really yes now, this is going to be interesting i think yes. it actually has been fairly well tested <laughs> mm-hmm. that if you are abstinent you are unlikely to get pregnant unlikely maybe still maybe possibly ex- could i'm gonna say almost exclusively 
It's really hard to get pregnant unless, if you're abstinent. Unless you're like the Virgin Mary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yep, there's one. Immaculate got that conception. It's a famous happen. story. Yeah. It's not a story that Planned Parenthood believes, <laughs> no. but it is a story. Um, you also have uh, maybe a surrogate. It could happen with a surrogate. That's, yes, there you go. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, at least as far. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But okay. I know certain things. Well, Glenn is. Glenn so is we could get his, his input on that. Yeah. Uh, yes. So they are saying that the previous funding opportunities uh, that they used under the Obama administration required programs be tested and proven to work. And, um, you know, they want more teachings on how to use contraception. So contraception, which isn't always effective. No. They want programs geared toward teaching children about that. Mm-hmm. The abstinence, show me it's effective. Where's your proof? Yeah, again, Where's your proof? And again, like I, I, this shows that they're not, you know, honest actors. If you needed any pre- uh, proof of this, right. With Planned Parenthood, because why wouldn't you want that to be at least part of the package? Right. Let's just say you are completely, you don't care about whether kids are promiscuous. That's not part of your interest. You'll, you don't care. And I think a lot of people on the left would say, we don't care. The kids are kids. They're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, teenagers should be able to do make their own choices, blah, blah, blah. But when you say you don't even want to enter into the conversation with just saying, you know, with the safest activity there is in this world, it makes me think that they're just looking for new customers. That's exactly what I thought when I read this, especially uh, thinking, you know, they said first they said we will always fight to empower young people with education and full, accurate information. However, Somewhere else in the article, it says, because of these changes, Planned Parenthood faces increased competition for grant funding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So of course. There's, there's, the there's the real, real reason. Yeah. Yes. Because, I mean, again, I, I, there's an argument to be made that it might not work for many people, right? right? Like, you could say you want abstinence education. It may not be the most effective way to prevent a pregnancy as far as people staying on it. It's like the, it's like the Sarah Gonzalez diet. Let me, let me use this for example. <laughs> So Sarah Gonzalez diet is uh, um, kale. Mm-hmm. That's no, that's the whole thing. It's just it. kale. <laughs> We're and, done. and so, but the point with the kale diet is a lot of people would say it's difficult to stay on. Right. However, if you stay on it, it's definitely effective. Yes. Right. Yes. You're going to lose a lot of weight if you actually just eat kale and whatever watercress or whatever else you mix in on on on, on the weekends. <laughs> Um, go crazy and go crazy yeah. with that but again like the, people will argue and they say this all the time of like well that's not an effective diet because people don't stay on it well it's not that that's not the diet's problem that's right. your problem right right like I, I if i ate kale every day i would i would lose weight too <laughs> but i don't that's not that's not kale's fault <laughs> the only fault kale has here is tasting horribly that's it hey that's right you can like make it seven. taste good Yes, if you I have put some salt. kale chips in my room. I can come bring you. Oh God, I had your kid. Well, you brought in kale chips one day. Oh my God, they were just. Those were pretty bad. Those were pretty bad. Some <laughs> of them are okay, but again, it's just a bad potato chip. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm not going to argue the uh, the merits of kale because okay. Okay, I already know <laughs> that kale is is good, is the best mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say, as a parent too, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I don't want to tell I. I you're going to sometimes assume, okay, kids are going to go out and do things that they shouldn't be doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes you can't stop that unless you chain them to your beds, at a, to, to their beds at a certain age. 
Which, but, is, which is another good solution. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you have to at least teach them this, you know, <laughs> to not to just totally bypass it and just say, we're not even going to put that expectation on you. Just right. go ahead. It's just maddening to me. Well, because you're not even in- introducing it as an option. Right. And in a way that fuels all of these really negative things that we were talking about with Me Too and all of these other things and that, like, you have to empower young women in particular mm-hmm. And 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 young men certainly need this advice as well. To sometimes just not do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes saying no and being like, you know what, I'm going to pass on this one. Probably a good move. Yeah. Uh, and to not even introduce that as part of the package, as one of your, uh, you know, uh, in the binder of options. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a positive. It certainly doesn't benefit anyone. No. Right. I mean, like, if well, you, it benefits if, them. It benefits Planned Parenthood. It only benefits them and and their and their funding because yeah. again, like, if you said if Planned Parenthood is still going to teach about condoms, they're still going to teach about other forms. So if you mix that in, right? You know what's what's the, problem? the harm? What's the harm with that? They don't get customers. Yeah. All right, we got to take a break. Sarah uh, Gonzalez, thanks for uh, coming in today. Yeah. Uh, News and White Matters on Monday. Uh, and overtime after that. Yes. Uh, very exciting. And Hashtag the blaze. Why? Ask questions to Sarah. Hashtag the blaze. Ask Stu the most personal questions you can think of. Yes, I, I will give you very detailed answers because that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. Sarah, thanks for coming in. Thanks. Right. This is Pat Gray. The Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much to uh, everybody here on the program, uh, and Pat Gray as well, uh, for letting me fill in, much lesser extent, Keith Malinak. Um, thank you uh, so much. This has been a lot of fun. It's been fun to uh, hang out with you guys, and uh, thanks so much for uh, calling in and listening here the last couple of days. Pat will return on Monday. Hopefully, he'll address this major issue. Now, if you know anything about Pat Gray, you know that Pat really, really adores uh, talking about uh, ice cream, particularly uh, Bluebell ice cream. But there's a racial controversy now revolving around Bluebell ice cream. This is very serious, and it's, in, it's invading Texas right now. And I hope, I hope we can turn around this incredible racial injustice. Here's a report from CBS here in Dallas. A family is asking Bluebell to change the name of its chocolate and vanilla ice cream from The Great Divide to Better Together. Tracy Schmidley wrote an open letter on Love What Matters, saying she is the mother of six children and a foster mom to more. When her family sat down to dinner one evening, her 10-year-old saw The Great Divide name on the carton and made a joke, calling it the Civil War flavor. Tracy says the line down the middle of the carton reminded him of the Mason-Dixon line, and the name reminded him of a time in our history when our nation seemed to be irrevocably divided. Mm -hmm. He looked at our table and saw both the mixture of black and white people not divided on one side or another like in the ice cream, but gathered around the table together. No word on if Bluebell has seen this suggestion. Now, as a host of a fantastic program, like Pat Gray Unleashed. You have a choice to make at this point when you're talking about a topic. I think quite clearly we can look at that report and take it down a really nice road. Here's a nice family. Here's a great, loving family. Multicultural, black, white, chocolate, vanilla ice cream. 
you see the kind of thing there. And again, this is a child's observation. This is a very, very nice story. Like you're talking about racial harmony. And, you know, sure, you, you get the hint of progressivism that you'd get out of one of these stories. But that's not the story here. The story here is as a kid. And they're saying something. I think it would be nice if they changed the name. And, you know, Bluebell, who's had some bad press, you know, over the last few years, they've had a little bad press. Maybe this is a good decision for them. Go on a nice little love what matters. People have a nice letter. It goes down a really nice road. That's one path. There's another path in which you say, you, you, come on. We're going to change the name of freaking ice creams because chocolate and vanilla are next to each other and we're acting as if it means a racial divide. And now it's going to be better together. It's excruciating. But I, of course, uh, on a Friday with a couple of minutes left in the program, will not go that direction. I think it's a very nice story. See, love does matter. And we've all learned it together. Plus, it's ice cream. So I'm kind of excited about that. Let me give you one more infuriating story before we leave. Cory Booker. Do we have this video? Cory Booker talking about Obama's border policy. But looking back on the previous administration, looking back on those eight years... You were a senator for at least some of that time. Tell me, was there anything that you would have done differently now, seeing where we are today? Well, I had a lot of problems with Obama policies uh, on immigration and family detention then. Reached out to the administration, wrote letters directly to the president, wrote letters uh, to Eric Holder that a lot of the things we were doing even then, to me, were a violation of our values and our ideals, detaining families. Uh, We saw those awful pictures even uh, of those days of children in in lockup facilities that didn't reflect who we are. All right. First of all, Katie Torres does a good job. She actually asked a lot of Democrats this over the last couple of days. Days, So she deserves some credit as a journalist because actually speaking up and asking a, a, a difficult question is good. Booker's response, though, come on. Let's just for ex- for a moment, let's stop and for a second, just live in this fantasy world in which he actually did write these letters to Obama and he did write to Holder and he did reach out, whatever that means. He reached out to the administration. Well, is that what you're doing now? Because now I just see your face on MSNBC every 10 seconds. Did you do that to Obama? Were you going on TV over and over again and criticizing him loudly and outwardly over and over and over again? Did you act as if it was the worst thing since Nazi Germany? Did you go out and scream about it on television, on radio? Did you write bills uh, cr- criticizing him? Did you do that? Or did you reach out to the administration behind closed doors? Because it doesn't mean a lot when you reach out behind closed doors. Taking on your own side does mean a lot. And you had the opportunity in 2014 to do that if that's what you really believed. You didn't do it then, uh, you know, and I'm not surprised. All right, Pat's back on Monday. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Pat Gray Unleashed on the Blaze Radio Network.